Hey everybody, welcome back to the Punk Till I Die podcast, episode 109. Man, I'm we Tom are, Ford. yeah, we so are zooming we're, through these, Tom, zooming, zooming. We are, uh, we're on a mission. Yeah. We're going to be to a thousand before you know it, but we keep finding interesting people to talk to, so I think we could go indefinitely, at least until the bands go back on tour and don't have time for our dumbasses anymore, right? That's true enough, yeah. Yep. Well, I'll tell you, me and you babbling then. Exactly. We could fill many hours doing that. So, <laughs> all right. So, Neil, I wanted to make a. So, of course, you can get us at our normal spots. Uh, punk till I die seventy seven at Gmail. Punk till I die podcast on Facebook. Um, until has two know, L's. If anybody's ever emailed us and didn't get it right, it's punk till T I L L I die seventy seven. Like, like till the fields with your oxen. Yes. So uh, exactly. So I wanted to I wanted to really briefly touch on the last episode because it's funny Neil I almost felt like we should have put a disclaimer at the beginning of that like this is not for the faint of heart because we kind of did that with 107 right where we said hey we're gonna play some really filthy songs and then 108 with a guest turned out to be sort of filthier than 107. Yeah, he was uh, the Cretan was uh, he was he was out there. Yeah, it was amazing. If you've been listening to us this long, I don't think you're going to be very offended by much no. of anything. No, not at One all. Disclaimer say is that you might not want to take his advice we don't endorse his medical advice <laughs> the advice and we don't necessarily subscribe to all his political beliefs but he was a very interesting fellow and i'm not gonna like you know argue with a 60 year old guy about what he feels and and uh the fact of the matter is i'm sure he'll come on again and i'm sure he's got more of those filthy dad jokes that he told at the end that he would like to uh tell for next time so anyway all right that's all i want to address that because i don't want to cut into the time for our next guest um it's ironic neil because well you know we always talk about we always joke about like if you're a drummer and you're reliable you always play in at least five bands right definitely yeah 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 that's the way that's the way it is around here if you're a drummer and you show up and you're not a total flip <laughs> you will play in so many bands and i think we have the quintessential example of that with us today so there you go dougie you're not a total flake i guess that's there you go good. What, yeah. what, what, <laughs> That's funny because we're episode 109, and I believe he plays in 109 bands. So I think it actually is <laughs> pretty our, our, our guest today is is from Detroit Rock City, uh, Dougie Tangent, probably most best known at the moment for playing drums for the Putts and the Devious Ones. How are you doing, Dougie? Pretty good, guys. Thanks for having me here. I'm I'm stoked. Yeah, man. I, I, actually, it's funny because you were kind of on my list of people I was going to reach out to eventually, and then our paths sort of crossed, and uh, and here we are. And, you're you're a guy who's used to being on the road a lot, so you're uh, yeah. this year for you, huh? Oh yeah, man! I had four tours canceled last last year, <laughs> so, so yeah. So it, of the four tours, how many different bands? Uh, one, two. Let me think. One, two, three different bands. So at the moment, and I'm not talking about mm-hmm. like some twenty year reunion of your high school band or something. I'm talking <laughs> at the moment. How many bands are you playing in that are that are sort of active? Um, probably only about really, honestly, only about. Well, I'm only a part time member of Hailing the Crushers, but okay. um, I would say I mean they're active. I guess that qualifies. I'm considered sure. a member, albeit part time. You know, so sure. I would say let's give let's say two and a half. Them being the half. Okay, so oh, that's the, so the putts, so the devious the ones on the yeah. Haley and the Crushers. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was thinking well, you were in the Dutons I mean, too. The are you on the Dutons? Yeah, yeah, I'm in the Um They really, honestly, even before the pandemic, they started to slow way down. The last couple of years before the pandemic, we were playing 
maybe like a handful of shows per year and maybe going on like one road trip or something like that per year or something like that. But that slowed way down. But at one point they were very busy, you know, like five to 10 years ago, you know, very busy. Um, but hmm. devious ones are kind of, devious ones are kind of starting to go like in the same direction in the same boat, even without the pandemic involved. We had our singer, he just had, a, he just had twin boys, uh, last year, right at the beginning of the pandemic. So we, and we knew that was happening. We knew that was coming even when no one knew the pandemic was. So it was like, we knew that we were going to slow down for a while, you know, and that made sense. We'll probably get back to doing shows at some point once it's safe for everybody. But I don't, I don't know how busy devious ones are going to get back to at least compared to what they once were. It might take a few years. It's not just the pandemic in the way there's some, there's some young babies that need attention. So (laughs) are you, are you the young, are you the young guy in devious ones? (laughs) Yeah. What's funny about that is, it used to be kind of funny when, you know, I was still in my thirties, but now I'm not. And it's like, <laughs> I'm still the young, I'm 40, I'm almost 42 and I'm still the youngest guy in the band, which is weird to say, you know, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. Cause everybody in that band is, I mean, the youngest guy after me is like three or four years older than me. So I was going to say, I'm, I'm going to be 48 here in about a week or so and not even a few days. Uh-huh. And uh, I was going to say, I, I'm pretty sure most of them are at least a year or two older than I am. But, yeah, that would yeah, make sense. Yeah. Well, so, uh, so yeah. for, for, our, for our listeners that don't know, um, do you want to give a brief rundown on those, on those three bands, what kind, of, what kind of music it is and that kind of thing? Oh, yeah, sure. Well, Devious One, since we're talking about them, um, I guess you could say they are kind of like uh, um, kind of disheveled uh, proto-punk power pop garagey influence somewhere in those mm-hmm. in that range um and we started that band started in uh 2014 we started that band in may of 2014 our first show in october 2014 we've played 104 shows wow. uh since up until the pandemic yeah our last show right before the pandemic was fucking uh playing with um the fucking addicts at st andrew's hall in, oh in, yeah yeah, yeah right yep Yep. It was incredible. It was incredible. So at least at least I can look at that and go, well, if that's going to be your last show for a while, that's pretty <laughs> damn good, you know. Yeah. You know, I'll take it. You know, we haven't played a show since and that was January of 2020. Right. So we're over we're overdue. But uh and then there's the Putts. Um now that band, uh I'm not a founding member. I am a founding member of Devious Ones, but I'm not a founding member of the Putts. However, I joined in the fall of 2013. So I guess we're going on what eight seven or eight years now. Eight, is it? Yeah, eight yeah. years. Yeah. 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 Well, we lost Holy a year, God. so yeah, we lost I'm a whole fine. year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's what's screwing, I think, with everybody. It's screwing everybody's everybody's whole, you know, time mm-hmm. up. Not just in the moment, day to day, but I mean, when you think back over your life in large chunks at a time, it's that year that's like the missing year, you know? I think yeah. maybe 20, year, 20 years from now, we'll look back and we'll, we'll probably really see it as more of a missing year than we do now, you know? But, uh, Anyway, so they're like kind of like uh, I don't know. I hate the terms pop punk and I hate the term Ramones core, but they're I guess they're you know both of those things. Uh, I, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess they are. I hate those terms, but uh, I guess they're both of those things and uh, kind of just like good '90s era pop punk. Um, that's you know, the key, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, that's the key. You got to kind of throw that one in there. You can't say really pop punk anymore you know because people think really all that, that emo that horrible emo yeah. 2000 stuff yeah. yeah 
like newfound glory and stuff like that. No, we or even worse. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Actually that's pretty mild on that whole scale. Uh, you know, that's yeah. actually like some of the more mild, there's some really bad stuff in that genre. And I'm like, Holy <laughs> Lord. And I get, I get invited to like pop punk fan groups and stuff all the sure. time. And, it, and I peek around and I, you know, pe- peek around in there and see what's going on. And I don't, I don't recognize anything what's going on, anybody, <laughs> nothing. And I'm yeah. like, look, I'm not, I'm not like the king. Of, I'm not trying to be like the king of everyone's scene or anything. But if I don't know, like at least like five people in this group and, or any of the bands they're talking about, there's, then I just don't need to be here. You know, <laughs> but it's, it's funny you say that because I, I'm in several of those groups too. You know, you get in these groups and, and a lot of them are fun. We have one for this podcast. It's fun. You know, it's fun. And the, you know, like dummy room has a big one that's real busy and you know, it, it, oh, they're yeah. fun to be in those groups, but some kid, I, I'm going to say kid, I hope posted his top 10 pop punk bands of all time. I had heard of like two of them. I'd heard of, I'd heard of none of them. Yeah. <laughs> there wasn't a and single it's, one. It's, I think I, and, and somebody said, bro, I, I think, I think that's emo. And it's like, uh, yeah, I, I don't even know. I don't know if it's emo or yeah. not. It's, because, yeah, it, it, there is a stigma. See, see, at our age, to call something pop punk was not necessarily an insult because you think of the queers, you think of Screeching Weasel, you think of, you yeah. know, the Parasites, Boris the Sprinkler, yeah. stuff like that. But, yeah, these young kids, it's this freaking having a, you know, it's the emo kind of, ugh. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, listen, I know we're old. The scene doesn't belong to us, but it, it's just, you know, you got to clarify, right? Yeah. Well, especially now. See, that's the thing you're talking about clarifying, and I feel like nowadays, especially because, no, we're not. We're not, the scene doesn't belong to us. Uh, but at in, at a time when it mostly did, uh, I don't think there was so many subgenres as there is now. So you really have to clear. I hate to say this, you really have to clarify more. Because yeah. at one point, you ready for this? At one point, even before I was hearing the term pop punk, even before I was hearing the term pop punk, like in the '90s, at one point. I I just thought of Screeching Weasel and the Queers and MTX and bands like that as like just punk you bands. know punk ba- punk bands with like melody with like a yep. lot of melody or you know, like 50s 60s rock influence but they were just a, a wing a subgenre but without a name per se until I heard the term pop punk but it, without a name I mean how how do you think how else do people I mean how did people like in the 80s in the 80s punk scenes how did they take to bands like the Descendants for example I mean, that must have been like really wacky out of left field for them. Well, we okay. So taking it so back, melodic, you know, taking it back to the seventies because that's that's where I cut my teeth, sure. right? Um, sure. We had uh, so in England, well, in England and the states too. So you had punk was a very broad umbrella, right? From X-ray specs to the Pistols to the Clash to the Buzzcocks or whatever. Sure. And then you'd have people like Elvis Costello. So they would just get thrown into so it was punk or new wave. Those were the only two. Yeah. Those were the only two banners back then. You know, it's punk or new wave. Yeah. And then when I came to the States in the early 80s and the Descendants and stuff, you'd ask what they were. We called those guys hardcore. So that was what hardcore yeah. was back then, right? So yeah, because looking back, the Buzzcocks could arguably be the first, you know, they, pop punk band. They if, were the you, f- if you don't call the Ramones, I, if you don't call the Ramones themselves the first pop punk band. Uh, that, yeah. that, I give the Ramones, I give the Ramones the free pass of not having any label at all, right? But yeah, because them, they were they were the foundation. Yeah, they, yeah. But after them, I agree with you about Buzzcocks, and I often bring them up in like the undertones and the boys and band, yep, agreed, hundred percent. I try to bring. I try to mention bands like that when when I'm talking to the current Ramones core or current '90s pop punk '90s era, you know, pop punk crowd, and try to you know because I think those those bands really started what's going on now, what the what the putts are doing and stuff like that, you know. 
And now that doesn't mean I'm not saying everybody in the putts listens to those bands, but we listen to well, bands. They listen to those bands. <laughs> yeah, no, no, well, yeah. yeah, of course, of course. Well, I that's, do. I know that. I can. That one of the problems okay. I always have with the kids is listen, the kids, if you came to, those damn if kids, you came to, the kids, these 30 year old kids, right? If you came to punk <laughs> through Green Day, I'm fine with that. I have no issue with you mm-hmm. coming to punk through Green Day. But yeah, when I came to it, I wanted to go back and and dig and find the find the beginning, you know. These yeah. if you come in, if the first punk band you ever heard, and I use this term loosely, is Blink 182, but then you never but you still don't care about anything that came before that. That's the, you know, you're, you're a mall punk dude. You're a mall punk. I'm sorry. It's just yeah. Not... Yeah. And that's so... the thing. That is a thing. Those are, there are people like that and they, yeah. they started with blink One Eight Two. That's their roots. That's their, that's that person's foundation. And they only moved forward. They never moved back. Cause if they had moved back, they would have found green day and they would have found, and then go even further back. They would have found buzzcocks and go further back. You would have found the who, you know, whatever, you know what I'm saying? Inspiration like, Ivy or whatever. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'll mm-hmm. tell you what. Let's let's stick <laughs> a kids. These kids, thirty-five-year-old <laughs> kids. All right. So listen, I'll tell you what. Let's stick. A, well, you know, I've told this story before, but the truth of the matter is, I. So I'm I'm almost forty-eight, right? I heard like punk rock for the first time when I was like fourteen years old, but it was like Ramones, it was Clash, it was stuff like that. The stuff was already ten yeah. years old, but I heard it. Yeah. But I was. I guess I'm kind of fortunate like that, you know. But there was kind of that was kind of a dead zone for like punk. I mean, there was a lot of. Hardcore stuff. So, yeah, like 1987. I mean, there was some stuff going yeah. on, but like a lot of great stuff going on. So, so no, it's yeah, it, not really. Yeah. So, anyway, it's funny. So, so actually, Neil's been binging on the on the putts and so much so that he just ordered the record from you like earlier in the day. And, uh, and <laughs> yeah, he's, funnily and enough, he's, right? so yeah, <laughs> thank you. So, Neil. I actually, so he's picking out the songs the putz songs we're going to play. So Neil, why don't you give us a good example of the kind of this nineties style pop punk? No pressure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you mean Ramones core? Get it right. Get it right, Tom. Come Whatever. On, what are you talking about? Um, yeah, so on. yeah, so I'm going to play um, from the putz, uh, the song called laser blast off of good their on. album from last year, which if I'd have heard it last year, it might, it probably would have made my top 10 list actually last year. Um, Absolutely. Album, Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for in a minute. The album was Rise and Shine, and so this is uh, The Putts with Laser Blast. Walking around like you're king of the town, but you're just a jackass in a Burger King crowd. You think you're hot shit and your ego doesn't quit, but you're just an imbecile and you're proud of it. Oh yeah, I don't want you around. Gonna take you out with the laser blast Better hit the deck, better watch your ass Cause I'm gonna take you out with the laser blast Oh yeah You think everything you do is remarkable and new But you're just a knucklehead and you haven't got a clue You're strutting your stuff and talking so tough But you're just a numbskull and I've had enough Oh yeah I don't want you around Gonna take you out with the laser blast Better hit the deck, better watch your ass Cause I'm gonna take you out with the laser blast Oh yeah! Been 
rise up, better do it fast Cause I'm gonna take you out with the laser blast Better hit the deck, better watch your ass Cause I'm gonna take you out with the laser blast Better rise up, better do it fast Cause I'm gonna take you out with the laser blast Better hit the deck, better watch your ass Cause I'm gonna take you out with the laser blast Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah Gonna take you out with the laser blast Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah Gonna take you out with the laser blast Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah with laser blast great song fun song right yeah everybody can agree with that i think so i had to dougie i had to drive my i didn't have to i volunteered my grandparents are pretty old now they they winter in the south i mean i'm i'm pretty old to have grandparents if we're being honest right um yeah i I drove them down i have i have like one left (laughs) (laughs) I, i have two and they do okay i mean they're shuffling a little bit now but uh they went down to see some family down in the Lexington, Kentucky area, so I drove them down right before Christmas. And on my way back, I wanted to hit some record stores in Cincinnati, but it was Christmas Eve. I was kind of in a time crunch oh, to get back to do Christmas Eve thing. So I stopped. There is. There's some good ones. Yeah, there's some um, good ones there. So I only had time to stop by one place really quick. So I actually stopped by some uh, store that's owned by a pal of ours, Um there's two of them. I don't know if you've ever been been to them. I know you've been through Indiana many times, but you know the record farms. Oh yeah, right? yeah. So Matt's a good buddy that, of ours. Um, Adam yeah, and Matt. Swisher. Matt. Matt Swisher. Matt Swisher. Yeah. Yep. Is it Matt Swisher? That's, that's it. Yeah. 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 Good, so they, good they had two. They had two locations. They actually recently have consolidated to one bigger one, but they had one in a little town called Rochester, Indiana. So I'm flying up trying to get home. I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna stop. I gotta stop and buy one. I gotta stop at one record store. So I stop on Christmas Eve. And Adam's working the other partner. <laughs> and what do I see? I see I'm in Indiana. And what do I see? I see the Putts Rise and Shine album. So I grabbed that so at cool. Christmas Eve. And it was the same thing because I do best of lists every year for Punk News. But the truth is, we usually have to have them in by like December 1st. Yeah. So yeah. anything you pick up late kind of gets screwed. And I put that record. I'm like, dude, this is great. It, it, I, 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 I like it as much as the Queers album, if we're being honest. You know what I mean? I yeah. Just, and, and I agree. I, yeah. I agree. Yeah. And. And I uh, and I love the queers album. Don't get me wrong; I'm not dissing the the queers album. I think Joe made a good album for a senior citizen, especially you know. <laughs> nah, we love Joe. I just bust his balls. We love, we love Joe. We had him Ooh. on. He's he's great fun. Um, but but anyway, yeah, he could take it. But anyway, uh, yeah, we uh, so um, yeah, I really like that record. But I, yeah, I didn't hear it till the very end of the year. And uh, mm-hmm. so yeah. Anyway, it's, I can't remember where I was going with this, Neil. Where I, I totally lost, totally lost my train. <laughs> you were just, you, were just you just said you like the album, and they should have made your top ten list. That I insulted Joe because I love Joe. I got nothing against no, Joe. Dude, if just, if that's the worst yeah. thing Joe hears this year, I think that'll be that'll that's be pretty. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that's true. You're right, you're but, right, Neil. But well, you anyway, guys, you guys talk. You guys talking about like top tens of the year, and what's what's funny about that is, um, we honest 
honestly, we were like at the beginning of 2020, we knew it was coming and we were, we were going to, we were going to try to put it out in April, I believe originally. And we had a tour the first of two support tours planned for April as well. So we were going to tour like right as that thing was coming out, which is something we've done before. We did that actually for clinically inane and we did that for knock it off. So it kind of became a trend, although I was trying to kind of like move away from that uh, a little bit, but we had a second uh, tour support, like a support tour planned for later in the year. And I believe October and going to all totally different markets. So that would have been, the album would have been six months old by that time. And that was kind of what I was itching to do was try to do a support tour that was that gave the album a little bit of time to breathe with everybody first, and then 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 we would roll through town. So I, I see the so people could actually the, sing along. Yeah, I see the pros and cons of doing it both ways. I get it. Sure. Because if you go out on tour right away, you can sell a bunch of records right away, and yeah. usually you got bills bills to pay like right away. So I get that, you know. But yeah. um, we had no idea though. Uh, that it was going to be such a great year musically. We knew a couple things, a couple other things that were scheduled to come out. We knew about, uh, we knew that there was a Queers album pretty far along. We just didn't know it was actually going to come out this year, but we knew it was pretty close to coming out. And we also knew about the Screeching Weasel. I already knew about the Screeching Weasel album about a year uh, prior. Wow, and, it uh, was a total shock to me. I got to tell you, a good shock. But I, yeah. I had no anticipation of that. Well, um, not to sidetrack too much, but. On a, I went on a fall tour, fall 2019 tour with Hailing the Crushers, and we stopped through Madison, Wisconsin, and we actually had we actually had coffee with Ben Weasel, and he told oh, us about nice. the album. We talked a little bit about the album, but that's you know I kind of already knew about, that was coming. But what I didn't know was coming was another Giant Eagles album. I didn't know another Manji's album was coming, and all these mm. other great albums that came out throughout the year, another Neon Bone album. So it was like unbelievable. And as these as we're going along, and of course the pandemic hits. And we're kind of trying to, as a band, and also in collaboration with, obviously, Eccentric Pop Records. Travis is a very good friend of ours. So we're trying to, like, kind of, like, make different moves or however we can change things according to how things are going with this pandemic. And, you you know, every day is, you know, especially back then, every day was, like, crazy. Every week was, like, crazy. You didn't know what was going on. So finally, we're like, okay, we can't put a record out. We were going to put it out in late April or something like that. We can't put a record out right now. Everything's just too crazy. Like most states are shut down and blah, blah, blah. You know, let's just bump this record release back. We don't know when yet. And then, of course, the tour that was supposed to happen in April, of course, that gets canceled as well. And so we're like, okay, let's just rethink this whole thing. So we let it kind of lie, actually, for about a good month. We let everybody just kind of do what they had to do for themselves, not think about you know, us or a record or anything like that. Did it you just, already have the boxes never, of record? You already had the boxes of records on hand at this point. I had them in hand and they were taking over my entire apartment. Yeah. They were like everywhere. I was eating dinner off of boxes, you know, it was like, they were everywhere. Uh, they were, <laughs> yeah. By like, by like mid to late April, they were pretty much taking over my life, but um, it was a good thing. But uh, then we decided sometime in May, I, I got with Eccentric Pop and I said, hey, you know, this Weasel album just came out and No Effects, I think, had also re- released a couple new tracks and a new video and things like that. And, you know, it sounded like bands were trying to be like, yo, here, uh, here's something. I know everybody's, you know, bummed out right now. Here's something to look forward to, you know. And I thought, you know, we could do something similar. Um, and also that kind of didn't make me so shy to release music at all. Because my first reaction was, it's kind of like when someone... 
you know, it's like when someone's having a hard time, the last thing you want to do is make it about you. You know what I mean? So sure. that was what I didn't want to do. I didn't want to do that. But what I didn't realize, it didn't take long. We got about, what, a month or two into the pandemic, and I realized that music was going to save us. You know, music was going to save I know my, me, speaking from my own experiences, I bought a fuck ton of records through the mail. Last <laughs> hell year. hell yeah. yeah. You ever did, man. Yeah. 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 Dude, it saved everybody. It saved everybody. And it helped that it was a really epic year for new albums. Not that I only bought new albums. I bought plenty of old ones too, but you know, and, and sure. also too, bands, bands and labels stayed afloat because everybody mail ordering. It was unbelievable. It was such a, a godsend. And I don't even believe in God, but fuck, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. And so, so anyway, so we kind of had to make some quick decisions. So Travis comes to me and says, okay, so let's, let's release the album. Like in June, how does that sound? I say, I said, okay, I think that sounds reasonable, and I don't think we had absolutely canceled the potential October tour yet at that point, but it wasn't looking good, obviously. And um, so he says, let's do the June release. I think everybody will be into it by June. I think everybody, no matter which way this pandemic goes, I think by June we will have kind of adapted somewhat, and I think people will, you know, will be ready for new music. They already are. And I said, okay, cool. Let's do that. So we set it for June 16th and we did the pre-orders starting May 21st. So he, he, he did kind of a longer pre-order period than he normally would. And, uh, because people were starting to get laid off. So it was also a matter of money. Not that people weren't looking forward to new music at this point it was also, you know, people and money. And I didn't want to take their money if they needed it to pay the bills and things like that, you know? And so he, he just made a longer than usual pre-order period, started the pre-orders on May 21st. Within that first couple days of the pre-order, half the records were sold already. It was unbelievable. And then by by the actual official release date, when everybody could actually hear it, remember they couldn't hear it until June 16th, and it was it was streaming everywhere on June 16th. And then some of the people who maybe didn't want to buy it until they heard it, you know, they didn't buy it during the pre-order period or anything like that. They then they heard it for the first time, then bought it. Well, those folks, that was unbelievable. June 16th was release date, and by 7:30 p.m. that night. Fucking label was sold out completely. I was like, "What? Mm. How many? Say? How many did you press? Did you press like five hundred or something? How many? We, we did. We did three hundred for the first pressing. Another three hundred for the second pressing. And the second pressing is almost gone. And that was, you're going to get a Neil. You're going to get a second pressing copy. That's and, the yellow uh, and yeah, green okay. ones, right? Oh, yellow, yellow. Those yellow yeah. and those green. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I got yellow, the red. Which pressing is? I got red. Which That's pressing a, is that? That's the first pressing. And oh, I, that's going to make did... Neil mental that I got the first pressing and he doesn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Red and blue. Red and blue are the first pressing. Uh, I think the yellow ones are beautiful. Neil ordered the yellow one. I think they turned out really good. Are they Are they and like I'm a really... clear yellow? Or yeah, like a, it's clear. Like a, okay. It's a, it's a clear, like a transparent yellow, which, by the way, when we were planning on how to press this and pick out colors and all that stuff, you know, I think we all, the, the whole band kind of agreed that Although we we would we would go along with whatever the label wanted to do, of course, but they they they're cool and they want to do whatever we want to do, which is cool. And we just thought, you know, we've done opaque opaque um, pressings of other albums before. Clinically named, both both vinyl variants of that are both opaque green and opaque uh, yellow. And then uh, we did a hole in one that's opaque pink, you know. So, you know, and I started noticing a lot of bands doing opaque stuff in the last like five years most colored vinyl when it's solid i don't mean splattered or anything like that but i mean when it's a solid colored vinyl it's usually opaque and i thought you know in the, in the old days when you actually would come across like in the 90s or 80s or something, when you would come across a, a, a rare 
colored vinyl. It was usually transparent, you know. And I thought, you know, it'd be cool. It'd be fun to just kind of bring that back. And, you know, uh, Devious Ones had already been doing that with a couple of their singles, like in 2015 and 16. We did some transparent colors. But um, there had only been one transparent uh, uh, putts release up to this point. So I thought, all right, let's do some transparent colors. And everybody was on board with that. I thought it would look would be more complimentary of, of the album cover, but not take away from it, you know? Mm-hmm. And sure. um, so we, so all four of the color variants that Rise and Shine is on are all transparent. That We just kept them all the same. We weren't going to do some transparent and some opaque, you know? We just do them all transparent. And we did all four colors that are represented on the cover, the bars that are on the cover. Yeah, it's clever. So, yeah. So that yeah. that cover that cover is a what, what did we figure Neil we saw that it's a throwback to some like seventies British punk band or something isn't well it? well the jam the jams uh, one of the jams albums has so, has a similar thing with Paul in yeah. one color and Rick in another and the Bruce gift. in another yeah. yeah it's the gift yeah yeah the great gift, album yeah. so was that was that so the, the inspiration time, oh sorry go well, ahead well so so Tra- so Travis designed. Travis designed the whole thing. He designed the front, front, back, inside, outside, whatever. He designed the whole thing. And as we were plugging through different ideas, um, and you should see some of the early ideas, they're rough. <laughs> but uh, as we were kind of making our way through, not as bad as some of the early clinically inane ideas. Those were really rough. Oh, man. It took us a, it took us a while to land on neon pink, you know. <laughs> but anyway, when we were plugging through the Rise and Shine design ideas, uh, I don't know who came up with the bars. I think Travis had some early version of bars that that popped up, and 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 it's actually left over from there was an early version of Clinically Named that also featured bars, but not as prominent. And um, and uh, so he started using these bars on some of these ideas. He was slinging ideas at us, and a couple of them had bars. And I thought, okay, these bars are kind of cool. But I remember describing to him, I remember saying, you know, I don't know what it is, but I see in my head a white, a predominantly white base on this cover. Like, we don't have anything like that yet. I think that would separate it from the rest of the catalog. I think it would stand out. It would also be a fresh, clean look that I think would complement the music itself, which is very fresh and clean. So uh, for some reason, I keep seeing white. I keep seeing a white cover in my head when I hear this album. And he goes, okay, let me see what I can do. I think the gift, the jam, the gift was that album was actually mentioned between us. I can't remember who said it, but and then later on, once we honed this thing in and we got, you know, got the cover as you pretty much know it now. Uh, I remember going uh, going back to Travis and saying, oh, you know what, this is this this is like bar. This is the bars. I think originally I, I did have an idea of putting our images in the bars, similar to the jam. And he said that he had taken some influence from that jam cover and I sent it to him, but I forgot. I must've sent it to him a long time ago. And I, f- I totally forgot. I said, this is a nice clean cover. I like this, but I like what they've done with the images of them in the cover. Maybe we could do that on the inside somewhere. I wasn't thinking front cover, you know, I was thinking like on the inside somewhere where you have, where you feature each of us, like, you know, Billy mm-hmm. bass and vocals, Doug yeah, and yeah. drum. You know, that's what I that's what I figured we would use the bars for, put our images in these bars. But instead he he found a way to make the bars work for the front cover, which is even better, you know, and I was like, wow. And there's a there's a picture of us from a photo shoot we did, uh, right around the time that we made the record of us all laying in bed asleep together and it's it's on the cassette release. It's on the inside of the J card of the cassette release. That's the only place it's been used publicly. But he originally, Travis originally had that that picture on the back cover, which I liked because I wanted us on the back cover somewhere. But then he came up with, 
I think he and Billy both kind of hashed it out and came up with this kind of coffee cup, this juice type thing. And oh, the juice thing that that'll drive you nuts too. Like he originally, Travis had some like old retro juice box labels and juice, uh, you know, container art and design from like the seventies and eighties. And they were really cool, like broad blues and oranges and, and colors like that. And I liked them at first, but then for whatever reason, I have no idea how the juice, bo- the box of juice just wouldn't go away. The concept of having juice, having orange juice, a, attached to rise and shine right. just never went away even though we did we didn't really use too many of those original colors and, and stuff we kind of got away from that but the, the idea of the juice just stuck and billy billy became very like fond of this orange juice concept so <laughs> eventually just a fucking box of orange juice on the goddamn cover you know like, <laughs> see, <laughs> you see know, it works it, it worked you know yeah. you don't even really honestly you notice the, the colors are so bold they don't even think you really acknowledge what's inside until you really you know what i mean it's almost like what's inside is secondary honestly see how much yeah. work see how I much mean, work goes think... into the cover tom like you always make fun of me for for being fixated well, on yeah, covers but be... a lot of work well, Neil, that's because when i do it, it was like you just rip some weird picture out of a psychology or medical book or something <laughs> slightly warp <laughs> it and then make black and white covers you know that's and, again, and i guess that's what <laughs> that's what joy division did and that's seen everywhere to this yeah. day right so there you go i guess that works too yeah yeah yeah, but I, I, well, I tell you what, it, it, it is a great cover because, I mean, quite apart from the jam thing, it also does look kind of like it could have been like some beat album from the 50s with those starbursts and stuff. It's very stark yeah. and like it could be a jazz album or something, too. It's it's very cool. It's I You think, did a good job with I that. It's tra- good. And Travis is heavily influenced by that stuff. And you have seen, I assume, the cassette version of the new Queers album, right? They basically ripped that off completely. Yeah, yeah, yes. it's, it's yeah. pretty embarrassing. So, actually, so who did who did your cassettes? Though you who did the cassettes for? Was it that same company? Uh, no. Um, you mean who who pressed like who I mean, who manufactured them? You mean was it what was it? Sexy baby did the cassettes or did did uh, Accenture? No, 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 no. We did our cassettes through uh, Memorable, but not Honorable. Have you ever heard of oh, that? Oh, Memorable. Okay, I I know the they, name. Yeah, they're from they're from uh, Eugene, Oregon, and they they do all oh. cassettes, and it's they're doing really good. You should check them out. Actually, Henry Henry, the uh, owner of that label, would not be a bad guest to have on the show. He's 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 you know, very talkative. He's got a lot to talk about. He's, he would be it, good. It's funny because I well, I just know that, that that sexy baby out of Chicago did the queers, and I know they do. Like I saw they mm-hmm. did the antagonists ATL and a bunch of other ones. But I mean, what are we really talking about with these cassette runs? Are we talking about a hundred copies? Are we talking about a couple hundred copies? I mean, I just Neil and I are not well, not cassette. We we are not buying into the cassette uh, renaissance. Well, it's, but I, I like, yeah. Here here's the thing. You know, the cassette renaissance I think can be traced back to uh when Burger Records kind of started doing most most of their releases were yep. cassette only releases for a while that. there. And they were they were churning out a lot of cassettes. And I remember thinking at the time, this is what, six, seven, eight years ago, nine years ago maybe, I remember thinking, uh, who's buying these? But then it became apparent there was a younger generation who were buying these. And it's no different than a lot of other things in pop culture that kind of come back around again. And, of course, lots of Zoomers and young millennials, you know, because that burger scene got predominantly taken over by those people. They're embraced by those people. So that was was your demographic in that scene. But I don't know if that's going to be enough to spill over. Hmm? I bet you they're – I mean, are they – I bet you they're buying the cassette. 
putting it on a shelf somewhere, and then downloading it or streaming it, right? <laughs> yeah, they have to be, because well, cassettes are paid in the yeah. ass. They always were. <laughs> cassettes are horrible. That's what, well, yeah, yeah, I'm but... all for, like, retro stuff, but, like, let's do retro stuff that was good the first time around. And I grew yeah. up with tapes. No, I... Don't get me wrong. I mean, that was that was my era, you know? No, I, I agree with you. However, I will say this. I have many times been at my own show and sold people at my own merch table, sold people records that did not have record players, oh, and yeah. they, they wanted to hang them up on their wall. Thank God there was a digital download code in there. You know? Yeah, so, I, what a waste, it, though. Oh. oh, yeah. I mean, of course. But I'm just saying it goes it goes a few different – it goes both ways is what I'm saying. Sure. But with, this, with these tapes, with these tapes, I think – you know, we're not, we're not, I mean, if you ask Billy and Patrick and I, we're not on the tape bandwagon either by any stretch. So the, the opportunity to put out uh, a rise and shine tape with honorable, but not memorable, but not honorable, that dude's label name kills me. But that, yeah. that was something that we did because the dude was stoked, loved our album, loves the band and just wanted to do 50. And that was it. And, and it's thought, basically well, hands off. You just say, go ahead. And he does it. And yeah, then, you know, exactly. you get some of them and you sell some and he sells some and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, yeah. It's, it's just a, told... it makes sense. It makes sense from a business perspective on your end. No question yeah. about it. Yeah. Oh, especially right now when we're not able to play shows. So if, if there's another opportunity to sell something or to make some badly needed money to keep recording and we'll do it. We'll have to do it. We have to do it. Sure. So if he comes to us and says, Hey, I want to make a limited edition run. And of course, we understand how important limited edition stuff is, and our fans love limited edition shit. They love it. Mm-hmm. So it's like, don't gobble it up. He, he he said, you know, I want to do a limited run. Nothing's fancy. I'm not trying to pull you guys into the cassette realm, but, hey, I, th- I think it's a, great, a good enough album. And, and, he, and it's true because he's doing all the other good albums from 2020, the Proton Packs album that came out last year, the Manji's album, uh, mm-hmm. Giant Eagles. He did, he did tapes for all those and Screeching Wiggle. He did tapes for all those. So <laughs> it makes sense. It's kind of like he's going through everybody's top ten <laughs> yeah. of albums. Of but it's one of those things. On he's got to be. It's got to be a labor of love for him. He's, he can't be making much, if any, money doing no, this. Like no, no. <laughs> funny no, thing is, no. funny thing and is, it, it's a hobby, I guess, right? <laughs> Yeah. Those cassette, those cassettes are probably yeah. empty. There's probably no music on them, but no one's actually playing them anyway, no so knows. it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. Well, you ready for this? You guys are gonna hate. You guys are gonna hate this, but you ready for this? Oh no. Uh, eight tracks. You guys. Yeah, eight tracks. No, they're a thing I was again. Joking. I saw yep. somebody put one out. Yeah. Were you guys involved okay. with that? That F, yeah. the, uh, that sad little girls or whatever it was. Yeah. Yep. 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 All right. I used to make. So here we go. Yep. Go ahead. <laughs> Well, we we got approached by that uh, Athena Athens yep. girl. Yep. She's a nice, 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 real uh, very, active, very cool, real show. active in the pop punk community, the '90s yeah, kind of pop punk yeah. community. Yeah, 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 very cool. And she's trying to. She makes. She fucking makes. She manufactures the eight tracks herself. Now that's something. Well, how that, do you get I mean, the, how do you get it on the tape? Oh, this is fast. Unbelievable. Is... Oh, it's really fascinating. I I'm not even a. I'm less of an eight track person i mean i'm not even a cassette tape person but this i could not turn this down she said she was making a comp that she wanted to use to hand out to labels to see if then label then labels could sample her quality her product and that hopefully if they wanted to make any of specific releases that she would be the one and she is really the only one making them right now so hopefully that would oh, you know oh, work so out okay doing, for her. okay she wants to be a eight track manufacturer okay i was gonna say yes, that's a really yes. horrible idea to promote bands because you think these guys and these labels are gonna be like yeah i'll go and go ahead and jump in my my uh 
father's 1976 uh, <laughs> gremlin. Gremlins. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, go pop in your gremlin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that's well, no, she wants she's trying to use it as like a it's like a calling card as like a you know a promotional a promotional item you know but she did make a short run of them to sell to the general public to help her cover the cost from the whole project and that was smart and i'm talking maybe i don't know she made like maybe 30 or 40 of them to sell to the general public and then maybe another few dozen to actually send out to labels well, just to solicit sitting there at your you sitting there at your kitchen table like screwing them together <laughs> yeah <laughs> and she is dude she is she that's is crazy she is. so what what song did you guys put on there uh shoot man because that happened right when a couple other comps happened you so we know, handed out two other damn thing right <laughs> yeah right <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah exactly <laughs> no idea how it sounds watch it sounds it's it sounds totally different watch i bet you anything no it's something off of rise and shine i want to hmm. i want to say i want to say we gave her another autumn I think we gave her that song, and the lineup is fantastic. If you get a chance, pull it up and look it up. I've and seen it. it and I've seen it, but I haven't really explored. Them. Yeah, I see it. I see it bouncing around. I see that girl. She runs. She runs a couple of pages that I'm on. You know, mm-hmm. and you talk about getting in all these pages. And I know. Well, I'll tell you what. We'll get to that in a minute. I'll tell you what. Let's play another. Neil, what's the next song we're gonna play? From the Putts Fantastic 2020 album Rise and Shine. We better throw another song in there. Yep, I'm going to play Kicked Out because I love that song. It's funny as hell. So, the Putts with Kicked Out. Mom and dad are tired of me eating all their food. Stumbling at 3 a.m., they really come unglued. Gave me 20 bucks and they pushed me out the door Said a little peace and quiet's all they're looking for Think they made it crystal clear I'm no longer welcome here and I'm not gonna shed a single tear I got kicked out 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 Let me crash with her It's better than an alley Though I'm really not so sure Because she keeps insisting That I help her out with chores And I respond by saying This place isn't mine, it's yours She started changing all the locks And put my stuff into a box I think she might have missed a couple socks I got kicked out 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 Another day With nowhere to stay No place of my own Nowhere to call home Cause I'm not paying rent For an apartment If I can't find a tent There's always the cement I got kicked out I got kicked out I got kicked out there that was the putts with kicked out funny as hell song man some of the lines in that song make me howl that's good that's so, my that's my girlfriend's uh, favorite song on that album. Is kicked out. That, is, that, is. That. that was like her first favorite song. Yeah, 
So, so those guys. So the other guys are down in Fort Wayne. No, uh, Billy's in Indianapolis, and oh, yeah. Patrick lives in. Yeah, and Patrick lives just outside of Nashville. So we're all over the place. So wow. Where are so you? Where are you? Get together. In, he's in Detroit. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. I knew that. Yeah, I knew that. Okay. So you practice in Indy yeah. then, or what? I mean, obviously yeah, you got to rehearse yeah. for your tour or before you record. Yeah, we do. Uh, well, we used to re- rehearse before recordings, but we kind of got out of the habit of doing that. We just, uh, for recordings, like Billy will put together a demo on his computer with like a drum machine and stuff. It's just a real rough demo. And uh, we'll just learn off of that, and then we'll meet all at the studio, and we'll turn them out. And there'll be some, of course, there'll be a few changes here and, here and there. And, of course, there's bells and whistles that get added as we go along. Sure. But that helps. That does. That process does help us with the meat, you know, just the, the bones sure. of all of it. And then that way, that way we're not figuring all that shit out on, on very limited time. And practicing while, you're, while, you're paying still, by, while you're paying by the hour, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now, it's practice. We do still practice, but it's like practice before we go on a tour or something like that. Or we sure. might practice before we play a show or a few shows. We're not going to go, at this point, especially after the pandemic, we're not going to go into, whenever we play another show, we're not going to go into that cold. We're almost certainly going to practice, like, you know, maybe that afternoon, and then we'll go to the show that night and play the show. We have had to do that sometimes when we've had, like, a few months that we haven't seen each other, and we just kind of brush up ice cold. But if it's a normal, busy year, and we're going from, like, you know, um, one-off shows on most weekends and then a few long weekend uh, mini tour trips and then we got a couple of tours throughout the year so if you look at the whole year you you take a broad look at the whole year there's a lot happening there we don't, really don't have to practice that much because we're going you know we're not going any more than say a, yeah we're not going any more than say a month between shows you know what i mean so sure you know unless there's something new specifically we want to throw in the set or something like that but otherwise we will come up with a set and we'll just we'll play different variations of that plus we always have, when we come up with a set, we always have maybe half a dozen songs on the back burner that we can switch out, you know. So coming up with a set also means a set plus some, you know. So, you know, and then we'll just kind of work that set for like a year or so, you know. We'll just mm. work that set, different different variations of that set for like a year. And there'll be times where we might, there were some years where we work would practice. Work a few practice, new ones in. Mm-hmm, we'd practice like maybe once or twice a year. And just to kind of like freshen mm. things up, but we're playing, but we're playing tons of shows in between. So we're not loose. We're very tight. You know, we, yeah. it's not like we have to practice. We're just doing it to like throw in some new ones or, you know, change something up, you know, on, a, on an old staple or something, just kind of freshen up the set. We don't want to play the same set. You know, some bands they play the same set for years and we just don't want to do that. You know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I hate to say it, but like the Ramones, you look at like their set from 1994 yeah. and 1986. There was like three songs different, you know. Mm-hmm. But oh, the Buzzcocks were the same it's way. Funny. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, I saw. Yeah, I saw the Buzz. It's funny because I saw the Buzzcocks. First time I saw the Buzzcocks was in the summer of '96, and then I didn't see them again until Devious Ones played with them. Right, like we're talking maybe six months before Pete Shelley died, hmm. and we played with them in 2016 in the fall 2016. So where, so where was Shelley, where was that at? Where was that? What venue was that at? That was at the Magic Stick in Detroit, and at the time, okay. the Magic Stick had spent a couple of years shut down, re completely remodeled, and was Being called some other name. Yeah, yeah, it yeah was dance like, club. It was a, a, yeah, yeah, it was Populux, and it was the the Magic Stick was around for like. 
decades before that. A lot of great shows there. I played there many, many, many times. It's an awesome it was venue. Like, awesome venue. It was really shitty to, to change it, but I understood it from a business standpoint. Then that didn't work out after just a couple, after maybe like a year or two, that didn't work out. And the promoter who had kind of influenced that big change and created the, the, the dance club, he, he and the owners had parted ways. And then now the owners were like, well, we got to turn this thing back to the much loved concert venue. It always was before. And the first show back as, as the magic stick again with a, a new remodeling once again, first show back was that Buzzcocks devious one show. So that was kind of a big deal. Like the papers were writing about it. Oh, the magic sticks back, blah, 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 you know, and the Buzzcocks, they're back. And that was my personal first time seeing Buzzcocks in 20 years. And they played maybe like two different songs. That was it. It was like the same set. <laughs> well, it's you would you would love that venue, Neil. It's it, I mean, five hundred. It's upstairs. Oh, um, that, that or did you night, play the uh, actually what? Well, or did you play in the big theater? Was, no, no, no. It was the upstairs, upstairs. The Magic Stick, yeah. not not the big room. But they remodeled when they remodeled it back to the Magic Stick. They also were able to increase the the capacity. So that particular night for the Buzzcock show, it was like pushing eight hundred. Hmm. So I haven't been there since Magic or since Black Christmas, oh, a couple of years ago when, oh, Negative Approach played and Cold as Life and all that. It was maybe like seventeen or eighteen or something. But I, yeah. I, uh, I love that. I love that venue. And you know what? Since we're on this topic, now I'm gonna, I'm gonna basically crawl mm-hmm. my own ass here because <laughs> I know a lot of people don't really care about this. But venues yes. in Detroit, are we gonna survive? I, I mean, there's the few, the couple that I really love. I would hate to lose Smalls because I love Smalls, and I would oh, hate yeah. to lose. Oh yeah. I would hate to lose that majestic complex, Neil. This place yeah. is so. Well, it's got an old theater that holds maybe like a thousand, and then upstairs yeah. holds I don't know, five hundred, eight hundred, and then there's like a a, small, yeah, a smaller room that holds a couple hundred. I mean, it's it's a really cool venue. Old, it's an old bowling alley actually, and they still yeah. have bowling. Yeah. There. But I mean, seriously, yeah. if you. If you, I mean, Black Christmas is one of the man, one of my favorite events uh, ever. Yeah, and uh, I hope they, uh, man, the, I hope they can do it this year. Actually, the uh, bowling alley, the Garden Bowl, that's actually uh, where Amato from Devious Ones has been working for eons. He's he's the manager there, okay. and th- that's the, um, I believe, that's the oldest, or at least the second oldest, but I believe it's the oldest still functioning, still operating bowling alley in the country. And, um, and when, let me see, Haley and the Crushers, we played there. We played at the Garden Bowl in the fall of 2019. That weird and stage, a, right? That stage over the alleys or over the lanes? No, 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 no. We, we played. That's actually not that fun to play on that. I played that stage. I've heard the horse. I've there. actually heard the horror stories of that, so. It's terrible. It's terrible. No, that's actually just like a temporary. I don't know why that's there. I think they have like DJs that go on there and stuff like that. It's oh, really okay. not good to play on. It, I played there one time for Black Christmas 2015, and I vowed that I would never do it again. It was terrible. But uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. Most of the time when there's a show at the Garden Bowl, it's in the actual garden, like the bar room. We just bar, move okay. tables and chairs out of this. It's just a, it's an intimate little bar room show. It's yep. and. Some of the best shows you ask a lot of people in Detroit seen over the years, some of the best shows they've seen have been in the Garden Bowl. So 
So it may not look like much when you first show up, but it's like for some reason, you know, I even saw Hellmouth there. What? I guess that was Black Christmas 2014. It was unbelievable. It was just like a thousand people crammed in that room. It was unreal, you know, and that was actually the year Dutton's Dutton's played that same lineup. It was Dutton's. It was Dutton's Pears and Hellmouth in that order on that stage. It was Mm. unbelievable, you know. So, but uh, just getting back to Hailing the Crushers, when we played Garden Bowl in the fall of 2019, it was the last night of like a two-week tour we did. And just a few days before that, we we hung out at Saratoga Lanes in St. Louis while we were there recording. This, I guess, is a good segue into Hailing the Crushers recordings because um, we spent about three days, three or four days recording in St. Louis. And one of those nights... After working in the studio, we got up, went and had some beers at Saratoga Lanes, which is just a, a short walk away from the studio. And Saratoga Lanes claims that they're the oldest bowling alley, still functioning oh, bowling alley in St. the country. St. Louis, always trying, to, always trying to take us on. Yeah, St. Louis and Detroit go back and forth about many things, but usually in, in like crime and stuff. But yeah, not, exactly. And when it comes to, but not when it comes <laughs> to bowling alleys. Hey, you man, know, they yeah. have their barbecue Huh? We got the fireside in Chicago, man. That's pretty old too. Yeah, that's true. That's yeah, true. yeah. Oh, yeah. I played there a few times, like twenty years ago. Yeah. And it, lo- it looks old too, man. <laughs> fireside looks like shit, yeah. but that's the beauty of it. Yeah. Yeah. Do they still have the white tile on the wall behind the stage? Do they have that old, must dusty white tile on the wall? Well, there's no. I mean, there's no gigs anymore, so I haven't been there in a long time. But they still have bowling. I mean, and I not, mean not 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 just a bowling alley, right? Yeah, I mean, obviously there's no gigs, but I mean, up until see, I'm still operating. I'm still operating on a mindset that's like up until March of 2020. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, right. You know yeah, what I mean? yeah. Everything, everything else has been in. In we're all a bunch of Han Solos and Carbonite right now. You know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, except some of us are Which trying to break. The... Out, some of us are trying to break out, and some some people seem to be happy to be stuck in the fucking Carbonite. Yeah, uh, that's true. you know, that's true. <laughs> you know, you know what too though. I I've always kind of I've always thought that. Um, all the Indiana Jones movies were actually the dreams that Han Solo was having while he was Ooh, frozen in carbonite. Look at that! Ugh. Yeah, <laughs> like it. yeah. So like so it's, it's like I a weird Stephen George Lucas universe. Huh. Yeah, I would. I wouldn't want to wake up from those dreams. Yeah, uh, you know, Han Solo always fi- fancied himself as like a swashbuckler type, anyway. You know, so you, <laughs> it would make sense that he would have dreams like that. You know. So, so I'll tell you what. Let's. So, so okay. So, do you have any inside information about any of the Detroit venues? I mean, are we going to lose some? Do you do you we, do you have any do you have any well, knowledge of, of anything at the moment? Before, and then okay, we'll talk well, some more about Haley and Crushers because I'm interested in this. Okay. Okay. Well, for, okay. Well, first of all, um, I think sometime last year, I want to say maybe in the fall or summer of last year, the owners of the Majestic Complex did list the property for sale, and of course, everybody freaked out. Everybody thought, yep. uh-oh. And that that's really valuable real estate right downtown on, sure. on Woodward. Sure. Everybody that's, that's everybody Wayne State. Yeah. That's like an up-and-coming yeah. neighborhood now. Used to be oh, yeah. horrible. It's, now it's yeah, only it half horrible. terrible. Now it's yeah. half horrible it's and called, half yuppie. Yeah, it's called Midtown. And it's, yep. it's like right there, it's like it's that property is millions, tens of millions of dollars is that, that property is worth. Mm. All right. So so they they listed it. And I went. You better believe I went straight to Amato next time I saw him. I see Amato all the time. He's one of my, you know, best buds. And I went straight to Amato and I said, "What's the deal with that, dude?" And he kind of grounded me because I was getting carried away like a lot of the whole the whole internet was blowing up from it. 
And I got a, I got a little carried away, but he grounded me. He said, "Dude, they've done this before. It it just so happens it happens this time it's during a pandemic, so everybody's freaking, thinking they're losing money. And it was a little, to be fair, like everywhere else, things were lean. Amato was barely working. You know, obviously it's sure. it's a bar. You know, it's a bar and it's a bowling alley. So it's, it's like a, they're getting hit with two different things. You know what I mean? Like no one's gonna bowl and no one's gonna go and drink there and there's no shows happening so they're fucked sure. you know so no it, was, it was a rough time yeah. yeah but he did assure me he said no they've they've done this even not during a pandemic they've done this a few times over the years just trying to see what the property's worth just trying to just trying to test the market a little bit see who's see what's out there other similar types of properties that's all i mean and i thought yeah you're right no need to panic and sure enough it's probably been we're going to be going on probably eight nine months since I had that conversation with them, and things are just they're reopening like everybody else is, and they're kind of stepping up, loosening restrictions at a reasonable pace like everybody else is. They're kind of just going through the motions right now, and I, I expect that once we are through this thing, or whatever you want, however you want to picture that, that when shows are happening and we can get back to you know fuller capacities and less restrictions that they will i fully i fully expect them to be in the mix they will be there and cassie my girlfriend and i have already made it a point to of the very few occasions we've been able to go out and safely patronize and spend some money at some of our favorite places that has been one of them on two or three occasions we've made sure we went there and we spent some money at the garden bowl and smalls as well you mentioned smalls We've we've tried our best to try and support Smalls as much as possible during this whole thing too. They're doing okay. They're doing okay. I don't think we're going to lose them either. So okay, one more, one more, just because this place had literally just moved, and hardly it had any shows when the pandemic hit. The Sanctuary. That's the only other yeah. one. I'm, that's, I mean, are, that's one. That's a, I don't know. I don't know about that one. I really don't because Maxwell's a good guy and he's worked very hard. With yep. opening that place, I played some great shows there. And his timing better, was just uh, his timing was just just bad yeah. luck, right? But luckily, luckily, I will say this, and this is the credit to him. Okay, I will say this: that first year he was open, he was gangbusters. I mean, he had he had booked so many fucking shows, it was absurd. They had a show yeah. almost every night. They were busier than almost any place in town. I would say. There's only a handful of places that were as busy, but they have much lower overhead, like uh, Outer Limits Lounge, one of my favorite little dive bars to see bands. I saw Amos and Snippers there. I've never been there. Hmm. Yeah, fantastic. Okay. Love it. I think they're going to hang in there, too. It's been rough for them as well, but they're going to hang in there. But Maxwell in the Sanctuary absolutely crushed it his first year. I couldn't believe how many shows he was having. I was very proud of him. And... I think he'll come out of it. I, don't, I really don't have any inside information. I really don't. I haven't talked to Maxwell for the whole pandemic, to be honest with you. I know he had some merch drops that helped him pay. He had some merch drops that helped him pay some bills and things like that. And, and people were really stoked about that. But I don't really know what else he's been doing to help get by. Whereas, you know, I, I kind of know what the other places have been doing to help get by. Like Smalls, for example, has been killing it with their food. They started this thing called Renegade Kitchen. And... I mean, killing it. Luckily, Mike, the owner of Smalls, he has experience in food service. He used to be a co-owner for Zeke's Barbecue in Ferndale. And so he has that experience. Man, he slays it. So like two or three nights out of the week, they do basically pop-up, a pop-up menu. They post it like the day of. And you got you got to phone in, a reservation, a carry-out order. You come in, you grab it. So good. Cassie and I have eaten there three or four times already during – during all this and it's been it's been great and between that and they have had a couple of shows 
like really, really um, restricted, limited shows. But that's still not they're still not really doing doing shows per se. They just had a couple along the way that kind of helped helped get them through like acoustic acoustic shows. Like they're they're like I think they're like a three or four hundred cap room, and they were dude they were selling like forty tickets, and that was it. Like that's what I'm talking about. Real limit. Wow, three or four hundred uh, people in that by the stage area would be a lot though. Well, yeah, I've, I mean, of course. I'm just saying that's the kind of that's the cap that they normally have. Yeah, yeah, and that, yeah. I'm just giving you an idea of how restricted they have oh, been. Okay. They've been very responsible. You. They've been very responsible about it. But they did have a couple shows, and we went to one of them. We saw an acoustic trash brats show. Oh, last nice! Summer. Yeah, that was really we, cool. We had uh, we really had Ricky, cool, we had Ricky on. He's a fun guy. Yeah, it's good. We had, good we had, guest. We had, yeah, we had Ricky, yeah. Ricky Rada. Yeah. So are you are you in the medical field, Dougie? Yeah, I I, uh, I work as a. Um, Handicap transport. I do handicap transport and logistics for like handicapped oh, okay. disabled, and uh, and Cassie works in a microbiology lab in a hospital. So we're both we're both in the medical field. We've both been this whole pandemic. We've both been working our asses off the whole time. It's been mm. just business as usual, you know. So so you got enough flexibility. Re- you got enough flexibility. Your job though, you can take off for two weeks and go out the east coast with the yeah. boss, huh? Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm <laughs> blessed for that. I'm very very lucky have that but right about now when shit's hitting the fan you know even if even if even if this was an issue that didn't affect shows even if shows were still happening let's say it was an issue that affected the medical field but didn't didn't limit shows or anything like or public health that kind of thing i'd still have to be careful right now i gotta i gotta work a lot we're very busy right now a lot of sick people but you know i it, you know i there was past years where i took a lot of time off and i came and went a lot more than someone usually can at their job and i have to remember that i've been with this company this company i worked for i've been with 13 years so they've never said no when i had a tour to go on or something like that or you know i used to have a, a british girlfriend we would go to england for two three weeks at a time they've never said no to any of that whereabouts man whereabouts so, uh she, her family was in the uh shropshire area oh well, that is. wow Tef- yeah uh, i do telford near telford very Actually, nice. Telford was the closest, the closest biggest city to them, and I think um, some of them were like in the West Midlands as well, which mm-hmm. is not far away, I don't think. And um, but we we were they were a couple hours from Manchester, maybe about forty five minutes from from Birmingham, mm-hmm. and uh, oh. yeah, it was good. Well, as soon as you said you were, well, as soon as I, well, I already knew you were British because I've I've heard the show before, but as soon as uh, earlier before we started recording, you'd mentioned that you were from England, and of course I knew that. And I couldn't wait to start talking about that, but I don't want to bore people. We can talk about that uh, outside the show, but yeah, um, but yeah. Anyway, um, so you know, this job has given me a lot. So it's like if I gotta bear down and crush it for however long, year plus during a pandemic, of course I'm gonna do that. You know, luckily sure. yeah. we have. Uh, luckily, there's a few lighter, you know, uh, sunny spots. I mean, whatever. Putting out some records has been good. Been a lifesaver. You know, things like that. Recording. We're still trying to record. Trying to record with everybody I'm associated with, but mainly it's putts and devious ones who have been the most active in studio, in the studio. But you know, that's what we got to do right now. And you guys with your podcast, and a lot of other podcasts, and and mail order records. I mean, this is where we're at right now with everything. You know, we can still be active. It's you know, true. It's true. We, you know, you were you were talking about buying records last year. We, I mean, I I bought way more than usual last year. I know Neil did too. We always joke that yeah. like 
just coming on our show will always sell you at least a couple records because Neil and I will always we pretty much buy records <laughs> yeah. for everybody who comes to our show. And we have a, a handful of listeners that pretty much do the same. We always make the joke yeah. that we sell tens of records. Come on, Punk to I Die podcast, just sell tens of records. Yeah, because our old, hey, listen, our old listeners will buy stuff, yeah, for sure. All right, listen, let's stick another song in there. And I'm actually going to gonna, gonna uh, ad-lib this one because we mentioned this band real briefly. And they were from Detroit. And since we haven't even got into Haley or or the devious ones yet. Let's play a Dutton's track. So this is all like yeah. veteran Detroit punk rock guys, right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I'm that trying to remember. been around for almost 20 years almost. So so let's so let's do what do you think? We'll make you dance? Sure. I like that one. All right. So this is from the this is the Dutton's Neil. It's from their Kill Bozy album, which I have no idea what the hell that means. What does Kill Bozy mean? Um you ever heard of Bill Cozy? He's a guy He's, mm-hmm. uh, he played guitar for he played guitar for Speedball. Oh yeah, yeah, I remember he's, that. And, yeah, he's a good he's a good friend of ours, and he pr- he produced that seven inch that you're talking about. That that song, the Kill Bozy seven inch, was produced by him and was recorded by Andy Paddlin from Sponge, and we recorded it at Andy and his brother Tim also in Sponge, their recording studio, which is a converted barn out in the farmland and uh, mm. way out in southeast Michigan, and Bill Cozy help produce it and he's a good friend of ours he's um the touring sound guy for cheap trick hmm. no kidding yeah good good friend of ours so we called it bill uh kill Bozy. all right let's so let's let's do the dutons this is from their ep kill Bozy, and this song's called we'll make you dance
was the Dutons? Is that is that how you say it? Like yep. like Newtons? Like Olivia like, Newton-John? Uh, what? <laughs> yes, yes. Pronounce it like Fig Newton, like Newton, yes. Okay. And is that how you spell it, too? <laughs> yeah, D-E-W-T-O-N. Oh, there it is. Kill Bozy, I see it. Okay. All right. They only had, All two, right. they had a couple singles. That was it, right? Yeah, yeah. It's on Spotify and Apple Music and all that. And we're on, we have a Bandcamp page. All right. And I got about 10, just a heads up to anybody who's interested, because there's only about 10 copies of that 7-inch left, and it's gone. <laughs> well, listen, man, so. you, you need to show me your list before you make that public. <laughs> I, I, oh, okay. I okay. your list. Yeah, I, I will, really I need will. to stop because I'm really, I'm really having trouble. Like, I just, I mean, I'm just getting so impulsive because it's just like, oh, they put up 200 more copies of the newer shells doing the Animal Boy album. Oh, I didn't get that the first time. Just yeah, click here, PayPal, and then like you know, it's just and, and now yeah. I see oh tomorrow they're re, they're doing the pre-orders for the reissue of the first Cold as Life album. It's just gonna be like oh PayPal. Oh. Did you do the yeah, seven? Did you yeah. do the seven seconds? The crew reissue? Did you do that one? No, because I have oh. a, I have a pretty nice newer copy of it on BYO. I don't think I'll buy that. Yeah, yeah, I got the original. I, so I almost I almost did, but I would rather have a, a, a like you like 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 Tom has. I would rather have a, a fairly new BYO pressing. I almost did though. I saw the email. What where they come out last night or something? And yep. you know that one of the variants is already sold out. And uh, but it I'm, must be the I'm funny black. like that. Like yeah, well I'm I'm funny about that. Like if I'm given a choice, if black is a choice, I'll take black vinyl every really? time. Really interesting. And, huh. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I don't. But if it's I don't... not a choice. Huh? I don't turn away. I don't turn away from black vinyl. I mean, I, it doesn't really bother me that much. But if there's an interesting variety, because the colored stuff sounds so good now. You know, Neil and I always talk about when we were younger. Sometimes the colored vinyl sound a little funky. Yeah, Man, yeah. Always, it always sounds That's great true. now. It seems like. it's all those Pirates I've, Press I've records. Heard, I I've also heard that um, the black. There may not necessarily be as big a difference between the sound quality as there once was. However, I have heard that the black records still age a little bit better than the colored records. Cause every time you spin a record, you're, you're basically carving it, you know, you're carving sure. it with this needle a little bit more every time, you know, you're shaving it with this needle every time. It depends so, on your record player, my friend. <laughs> yeah. well, I got a pretty nice one. I mean, See, I, yeah. no, I, I, I say that because I can remember when I was a kid and, uh, in our uh-huh. record, in our record player at home, if we had a record that jumped, all we would do was uh, we we put a bunch of coins on top of the on top yeah, of the needle. It's really gouging into the yeah. fucking vinyl. <laughs> yeah, tape, well the key the key is to tape tape one single U.S. nickel. I, I have a fe- I have a feeling a pound would probably be too heavy. But no, this is nickel... this, this is bef- this is before there was pound coins, my friend. This is going oh, back to the sixties. Oh, okay. right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. I was just gonna say, but, it, but it's funny because yeah, records right. are expensive now. You know, you do it is. I do. True. I'm a yeah, little yeah. more paranoid about it because when you're paying twenty twenty five bucks, you know, and it's funny because like that that seven seconds reissue, it looks like a really nice package, yeah. but it's retailing for about thirty bucks. I mean, yeah, that's I can't a lot do it, money. man. Yeah, I know when you're yeah, buying lots of records. And that you know that sometimes that's the difference. Uh, you know, a fifteen dollar record gets bought and a twenty one, a twenty five dollar doesn't. But... You're talking to the wrong hey. person here, my friend. I just, yeah, I, I just, I just bought Social Distortion seven inch for like seventy five bucks. <laughs> yeah. So... Oh, 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 oh. Well, you are actually, Tom. You're also talking to the right person because I happen to have two of uh, LPs that are still in print that are both fifteen dollars. See, there so you I go. That. See, that's what I'm talking yes. about. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. The, 
Yeah, exactly. So I totally get it. I so think, you heard it I here, everybody. Helped, get the Putz helped. album, fifteen bucks. No, it's yeah. <laughs> well, like I said, no, you it heard was it. A lot. I, I was. I think no, we were talking you, about this. We were talking about this before we started recording. But you, you, I, you seem to run a little. I want to say you probably trade with your friends or whatever. So you sell records pretty regularly. You have copies of records. Yeah, yeah I remember a while back on your Facebook page, you were selling a bunch of stuff. And you, you admin a couple of pages too. I know you're you're pretty yeah. busy. Yep. We always yeah. Neil and I always make fun of like if a band doesn't like us they'll give us their drummer but the fact of the matter is you're like a real busy like you're you're not a typical drummer yeah. you're actually involved with a lot no. of stuff. Well, uh, yeah, no, I think it's important. I think it's important for for you know I'm not saying every member of the band has to be this involved you know but sure. a couple of them do. It helps if a couple of them are you know and like uh, in the case of the putts, there's a that's, there's some great chemistry there because it's like everybody has their job i mean i don't mean that and i mean that loosely we don't actually say job out loud this is your job that's your job but it's more like uh we all recognize each other's strengths and weaknesses and we try to play up the strengths and not just when it comes to making a record of course of course but also when it's like outside the studio or off the stage like when promoting, it's other promoting the record. That, yeah, yeah yeah so like for example for example i might be the one that mentions to the guys hey let's do a new shirt you know, I'll have them printed up here in Detroit and let's do it for this much money. Let's do this many shirts. What do you think? And, you know, really all they care about is what it looks like. They don't, you know, and obviously they don't want to over, you know, frivolous spend, but I'll make sure we don't. But other than that, it's just, well, what does it look like? You know, that kind of thing. And I know that about them. So really I would, I would take a different approach. I would say, Hey, check out this artwork that so-and-so made, you know, and then they might say, Oh, that's cool, but let's change this or change that or whatever. And then I'll go back and, and tweak it. But I need them for that because they're the artistic. They're they're going to help with the art. I mean, I have my I have my artistic opinions as well. But I mean, I need them to put in that input just like they do with writing the songs, you know. And then like when we make a record, like I was telling you earlier, how we designed Rise and Shine, it was mainly like Travis and I just busting heads trying to get through design ideas. We did the same thing with Clinically Inane, and what I would do is I would go to the band with these concepts that Travis would come up with and the band would, all I need is yay or nay, or what do you not like about this? If there's just one thing you would change, what would it be? You know, things like that. And it's great. It works well because then when the, when everything is flipped and we're getting ready to maybe, you know, write a record or something like that, it's Billy's turn to do that, to play that role. He's got like our next album already, like at the time of this recording, 85% done. And that's when he comes to us and says, here's the songs I'm thinking. What do you guys think? You know what I mean? That's because that's his job. And so hmm. Pat and then Patrick is unique because if we want to know anything about Gundam models or Star Wars Black Series action figures or Star Wars books. <laughs> that's very helpful or, for the band. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, or ro or he's, Robotech models, you know. Then he, he he's our guy, you know. <laughs> he's not in the he's not in that pop punk band, the Gungans, is he? Is it the Gungans? You ever see that? <laughs> no, no, no. But but they do like a parody thing. Should, yeah, it, we should note this though. He does do his own one man project that he records at home that is a parody similar to the Gungans, and it's uh it's called um the Coruscants, and it's mm. that planet from. Star Wars, Coruscant. Is that the one that got blown up? He, no, that, no, no. 
Coruscant doesn't get blown. Coruscant's the one that looks. You just like made all the Star Wars anymore. fans angry, Tom. <laughs> they, they're all yelling at their fucking at their at their iPods right now. No, yeah. uh, Pat, Patrick does a band called the Coruscants, and they have a couple CDs on Owl Lab Records, and they they combine Star Wars themes with Riverdale's covers. So they're Riverdale oh. songs. <laughs> oh, wow! But he changes all the he changes all the lyrics so that they're relevant to Star Wars. And he does each album is each trilogy. So as you can imagine, he's going to do three albums. He's already just put out the second album, which is the prequel trilogy. And mm. he already put out he already put out the, the album for the original trilogy last year. And so next, of course, will be the, the latest trilogy that just came out within the last few years. That'll be his third album. So and what he does is he he lines them up with individual Riverdale's albums. So the one that just came out is the prequel trilogy from Star Wars. But all of the songs are on the Phase Three Riverdale's album. They're all Phase. It's Phase Three in order. He's basically covering Phase Three, but he's in order. But he's changing. He mm. changes everything. The, the names and the lyrics to Star Wars related. And it's wow. All that seems cool. like a lot of work. That it almost does. seems like more work than like writing songs. <laughs> yeah, like, you know. But, it, it, but people are digging it though. And plus, this is like the ultimate pandemic project, is it not? Especially if yeah, you have it's a studio isolating. home. Sure. Well, it's funny yeah, because there's, totally. there's a few there's a few like Star Wars themed pop punk bands out there or punk bands out there. Oh yeah, oh um, yeah. It's kind it's yeah. kind of rife rife with that, you know. There was a there was a Chicago band that put out a seven inch oh maybe twenty plus years ago, and I have a copy of it, and uh, I think it bears repeating now. The band was called No Empathy, and the name of the seven inch was Ben Weasel Don't oh, yeah. Like It, and I bet you Ben Weasel yep. don't like that either. But <laughs> hey, whatever. No, the, I have that. The list of what yeah, Ben got, Weasel doesn't like is almost as long years. as the Neil of, list of things Neil doesn't like. I think. <laughs> right, you, Neil? Uh, did you guys? Did you guys happen to notice there's a uh, there's a commentary version of that new Screeching Weasel album? It's on Spotify. Did you know about that? No, was Ben was Ben doing it? Yeah. Well, it's Ben and a couple other guys. That's like talking about the tracks, tar- like Mr. Yeah. Mr. Thousand style, really. No, 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 no. It's like uh, like when you're watching a DVD with commentary extras. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. That. yeah. But the, so the music's yeah. kind of playing quietly, and then they're talking over it, or what? No, no. They play like a few seconds of each song to start with, and then they talk about Uh-oh. that song, and then yeah. and then the next song comes on, they play that, and then they talk about the song. Not the whole song. They'll play, they'll play like a snippet of it, and then talk about it, you know? But they what's, don't talk over it. It's not like playing in the background. What's your thoughts on the new Screeching Weasel album? I think it's pretty good. I think it's pretty good. Um, you know, I think I think it's great. Yeah, but I, I think it's pretty I think good. It, I think I think it might have to do with the fact that I was going to say. You know, you're talking about how people needed music during the pandemic. I can't imagine the last time I spent as much time listening to one either, a new one. So I think that yeah. certainly played into it. But I think it's very good. I think it's the best. Well, you gave album of the year last year. <clears throat> I did give the album. Of the year. My album, it was my album of the year, but it was definitely the best post Jughead album because I sort of think he hasn't oh, really yeah. done it. He hasn't done an amazing album without Jughead until that one, I don't think. But yeah, well, but, you I, know, was, I was especially I was especially worried about not only no Jughead but also no Vapid. I was like, oh, this is not going to be good. You know what but I mean? Vapid, like, was, oh, Vapid has been on Vapid was only on the very first one after he came back, right? I think first First World Manifesto. Yeah, yeah, he's on that one. And then and Jug, and then they did Juggy's not on that one. No, no, yeah, that was yeah, it. Did Carnival, and then I don't know. I got, I got, I got every single one of them, of course. Multiple copies of most of them, actually. But anyway, all right. So let's, so let's talk about Hailing the Crushers a little bit. How? Did, where are they sure. from? They're like St. Louis or something. Uh, no, they're they're from 
San Luis Obispo, California. Oh, they're from California. So how do you? So they're like, well, we want a drummer who's like super inconvenient to us. We'll get one from. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, good old Dougie. Let's get Dougie. Yeah, I, I feel like you just summed up my life because honestly, there's other there's other bands in other weird parts of the country that I have or really want to work with. And again, it's really inconvenient. I did a short stint back in 2012 with Beat the Termites, and they're in Baltimore. You know, so. Like, uh, yeah, but know. Baltimore, Detroit is a whole lot closer than California, Detroit. Last time I looked at the map, I mean, oh, you could drive sure, there sure. at least, you know, <laughs> like twelve hours. Oh yeah, sure. I've and I've done it many times. But uh, no, uh, with Healy, it was like um, basically we became friends online because I just really liked what they were doing and I wanted to help them them any way I could. And then it just so happened that they they had started approaching eccentric pop to see if they'd want to put some if Travis would want to put something out for them. Right right when I mean literally down to the day that I did it on my own. I just went to Travis and said, there's this really cool band. I think you should look at them. And uh, I've been talking to them. They seem to have a good they their heads are in the right place and yada yada. And then he turned right around and said like ten minutes later, he goes, Oh, I just got an email from them. Oh, okay. So you know right off the bat yeah, oh, definitely, definitely. And, and and Haley and I kind of reminisce about that all the time, that we were both on the same page. We've always been on the same page, and that proves it. That was our first moment kind of in, in conjunction with each other, obviously on the same page. So, of course, Travis, you know, isn't going to just brush this off when he's got this, you know. And so he heard it. He loved it. He loved their vibe. He loved their work ethic. He liked their look, their style, their aesthetic, their sound. Everything about them is great and is very eccentric pop-esque. So we helped them out with a, a couple albums, cool, the Cool Lame album and the Vintage Millennial album. Both of those uh, came out on Eccentric Pop, and they're both great albums. And I toured during both of those, like right after both of them came out to help them. Or no, I didn't tour. I'm sorry, I didn't tour after Vintage Millennial because that actually came out right before the pandemic. But I was hearing a lot about it on the last couple tours I did with them. So I kind of, they kind of, that kind of mixes together in my mind. But uh, it was. It's there. We're just, I don't know what it is about us. We're just, you know, we just really care a lot about each other. We just want to help each other. And that's, I've never had a situation where I've been like unable to be a part of something full time. I've never been like, you know, aside from maybe that short stint and beating the termites. But I mean, other than that, like that was already kind of a short stint. I knew that was going to be a short stint. It was like a year. But in this case, this is like this ongoing, like part time thing. But it's not, I mean, it is part time, but it's not because like, I still, I still talk about them online. I post about them and things like that. And I think that if everybody were, if we weren't in a pandemic right now, we were. I mean, we were supposed to do a tour together on the East Coast last year. It was going to be quite a lengthy one, and we probably would be doing something right now. So, in that sense, it doesn't seem very part time. I mean, between the two tours I did with them in 2019, I probably played. I don't know. Between both tours combined, I probably had already played more sh- shows than their full time drummer did with them. You know. So it doesn't seem part-time in that sense, but it's like when they're in San Luis Obispo and I'm here, you know, whether it's a pandemic or not, things still have to happen. So they're making music videos and they're making new recordings, which right now they are actually recording a new album and they just actually just moved from eccentric pop to uh, kitten robot records. And that's uh, owned by that's uh, Josie Cotton's record label, you know, Hmm. Josie Cotton. And, like uh, the like her, the old pop like the pop star like the 
Yeah, yeah. Johnny, are you queer? Yeah, Josie. Yeah, Cotton. yeah. Like Holy shit. Okay. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. She just started a label, Kitten Robot, and this is it. Mm. And they, and Haley and Reed and all them have been down in a studio in L.A. working on a new album for Kitten Robot Records. It's fantastic. So, it's a fantastic so, step for them. So that so Haley and the bass player, it's a husband and wife team. Yeah. Right. Haley plays guitar and yeah. her husband plays bass. And they so what yeah. they have a drummer basically that's like their studio drummer, but he doesn't tour with them. Well, and he does. Well, he does do shows on the on on that coast with them. They've done okay. like road trips and stuff, but no no like actual tours. But like weekenders and mini tours, sure they've done you know three or four shows in a row at a time with them. Yeah, and he's okay. out there. He lives local. He's very accessible. He's in all the videos. He's in all the press pictures. You know. But then when they want to come out here and do like you know seventeen shows in eighteen days, I'm their guy. You know. Hmm. So and you, you know. did record some with them. Yeah, actually, yeah, and this is um, what I was hoping we could talk about because this is a really great project because we did um, – remember I told you guys we were in St. Louis recording? We went to the old bowling alley, Saratoga Lane. Yeah, yeah. Well, we yep. spent a few days in St. Louis recording. We did three songs. All three of them have been released since then. That was fall of 2019. They've all they've all been released since then. Two of those songs appear on the Jacaranda single – and that came out in the same month that Rise and Shine came out. So it was a good month for me, even though it was a pandemic. It was June of last year. It was a good month because I had two records coming out. I was very excited about that. And Jack Aranda came out on – it was a split release between Surfing Key Records, the Italian label, and uh, Rita Records. That's spelled R-E-T-A, not like Rita the name, but R-E-T-A. And they're out of Montreal, and you might be familiar with – the girl that runs that label is Jamie, the bass player for Pale Lips, and they are fantastic. I don't know them. If you're not, oh, check them you're getting, out. You're getting, you're getting you really deep into the like. I know the eccentric pop, and you know the gutter pops, and hey guys, hey guys, basement. let yeah. let let's play a song. It's been a while since we played a song, so should we yeah, play? Yeah, let's play Haley. Let's play sure, a Haley sure. and Let's play. Let's play that Jackaranda. Jack Jack yeah, Jackaranda. You, you got it. So you played on this it's one. Pronounced, it's Jackaranda. Yeah, this is me. On Jackaranda. Here. And this is like, yeah. and have you heard Haley before, Neil? Just like, like uh, a kind I have. Of a no, I have. I, I actually have. I think I have the first. I have the first album. I think somewhere. It's cool stuff. Yeah. It's yeah. definitely kind of got that throwback, throwback vibe to it. And I've also heard, Dougie, you can maybe confirm or deny this, that Haley is a fantastic guest, and that maybe we should pursue her to talk to her for a while. Oh, oh, you know what? And I, and I know you guys want to play a song real quick, but just real, real quick, you need to have Haley on and. I think you should have Jamie from Rita Records and Pale Lips on because they're both fantastic we, guests and they're we do it. Awesome. We, you know, it does end up being a sausage party around here a lot, so we do welcome. <laughs> yeah, we do welcome. Break it up, break it up. It is fun to have some women sometimes, yeah. we, and we've had some women on, honestly too. But it'd be good to have more. So okay. just, just don't have them listen to our yeah. offensive episode. That's, yeah, that's just, they, just can't listen to the episodes where we where, you know, where yeah. we have the guys where, where we have. I hear you. Where we have Cretan from the Daglo Abortions or Joe Queer or one of these other guys. <laughs> yeah. As long as they skip those yeah, episodes, yeah. we'll be good. All right, so so let's so so it's Jack Aranda, you said, right? Did I get that right? That's Jack Aranda, yeah. Yeah, Jack Aranda. Haley and the Crushers, Jack Aranda.
crushes there with uh, Jacaranda from 2020, last year, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, June, June of 2020 came out. Surfing Key and Rita Records. The band still has copies of that single, and I think maybe Rita Records out of Montreal still might have a few copies, but I know the band's got some copies if anybody's interested in checking that out for sure. That that, came out on like four different variants. There's actually only two copies on, uh, on Discogs. One from Deadbeat Records, who was pretty oh. good, and another one from Spain. So, but Deadbeat Records is good. Yeah. I bought it from them before. Well, you might as well get the one oh, from okay, Spain. Yeah. You know, then you can pay fifteen dollars and have it shipped. I just got it. I just got some <laughs> stuff. I just got some stuff from Spain yesterday, and I just got stuff, some stuff from Belgium. It takes about between four to six weeks to get stuff from Europe right now. I have been getting, I've been getting so much stuff, Neil, that I'm like, oh, I hope I get home before my wife so I can get the mail and hide it. <laughs> yeah, and- yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I'll know, tell you what. Those, all right, you know what. Oh, go ahead. I used to live that. I used to live that life, Tom. I used to, and now, <laughs> now it's funny because just today, just as I was hurrying in the door, you know, I was late. I work. I worked late, and I was late to hook up with you guys. And I was in a mad rush. And I still haven't showered or eaten dinner or anything. I was in a mad rush. And what did my girlfriend, who was just home by a few minutes herself as well, what did she say? She she put this LP mailer that I received in the mail on the counter in the kitchen. Said, "Oh, you got something in the mail." And I remembered in that moment, because I was in a hurry to hook up with you guys, but in that moment I remembered that I appreciate that she does that because I know the life you're talking about. I lived it for many years where you have to, like, hide it. You know what I mean? Well, or not necessarily hide it, but just kind of reconnoiter. You know what I mean? It does feel, <laughs> you know? it does feel like any other drug addiction where you're like, oh, now I need sure. a little more. I need a little more. Sure. A little more. A little oh, more. yeah. And, and you're literally ordering stuff faster than you can even listen to it. And and it's uh and it, yeah it, it it but it's definitely a reaction to the way the year has gone, because it's like that's oh, yeah. the only part of my life that's like semi normal and it's really worse than normal because usually yeah. I'd be buying records at shows or whatever you know but not oh, at the yeah. pace I am now but also yeah. I become so plugged in between doing this podcast and just because we've been living our lives online a lot of it I become so plugged sure. into what's coming out. It's like I Absolutely. said, it's like oh pre order pre order pre order and just I mean, like oh I man. mean. And, and if you can buy stuff from bands directly or from small labels, then being yeah. plugged in like this isn't necessarily or doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing. No, not at all. A lot of stuff oh. would normally come out and you would miss it. Like you said, you missed the first pressing of the new Rache- uh, the uh, Young Rochelle's uh, Animal Boy. Well, this is your time to grab it because the first yeah. pressing came out not not during a pandemic. You know, <laughs> you know. New color variant seems really cool too. Clear with with blue yeah. splatter. So, well, yeah. I, and, but that, and, well, the thing is, here's the thing too. It's become so uh, personal. I mean, I always wrote yeah. about bands, so it'd be like, oh man, I'd like to buy a record of band I wrote about. But now it's become so personal, where it's literally yeah. like, yeah, I'm listening to a record where I know the guy who played the drums on it, or I'm friends with the bass player, or Bingo. so it becomes. So I do feel better about throwing the money around. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah, me too. I've been doing the same thing. Recently, uh, I've been ordering a lot from Rad Girlfriend Records, Josh Oh, Holman. yeah, Josh. His, yeah, Josh, his, Josh yeah. Awesome, dude. Awesome, Yeah, he's, dude. he's been his, on, and matter of fact, I'm sure he'll be on again, because when we had him on before, we pretty much talked about Rad Girlfriend, with the label, but I know he'd love to spend more time talking about talking about uh, the Raging Nathans, so I, oh, I suspect yeah. Oh, yeah. I suspect the album comes out, we'll probably talk to him again. What, so. I, what I did was uh, I just would every once in a while I go around and just stock up like whether it's whether it's a rad girlfriend or whether it's like mom's basement records or you know any any similar labels like that and there's a bunch of them and I would go around every so often during the pandemic every maybe month or two and I would just 
whatever their latest three or four releases were, you know, I would stock up because this is really important. You know what I mean? It's really important. And I do the same thing with the individual bands too. Anytime I could buy something from an individual band's band camp page or big cartel or, or directly from a band, I would do that as well. These bands are not touring. They're not playing shows. Yep. So getting, ba- getting back the Friday, to the Friday seven, band camp thing that they were doing on the first Friday. Of oh month, yeah. I was trying to order. Yeah. 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 They still do it. They still do it. They're still doing it. Um, now, getting back to the Seven Seconds crew, that's a good example. Now, what the uh, right when the seven, seven, seven Seconds crew email came in, I also got another email from the Violent Femmes, and they're they're reissuing added up the double yeah, disc, I saw the best, best of, of whatever. Yeah. yeah, and I clicked on a link, and you know how they there's like a link tree you can go to a million different places to save it or pre-order it or whatever. And I yeah. there was one of the op, one of the options was the Violent Femmes own merch store and i always anytime i can do that i do that so i went i clicked on there and they had just regular black copies you know me and black vinyl so i was like (laughs) i do now i have have to get this yeah i have to get this it's not only is it black vinyl everybody else has got their own variants the label and everybody you know amazon whatever but the band has the black vinyl so this is this is tailor-made for me and i want to support the band now of course you can't always support the band as directly as that we all know the big bands get a cut of everything but you know but if you can find a way to support them directly like that you certainly should and even on a smaller especially on a smaller level like what we're talking about here you know so yeah yeah it does make me feel better about sending a good ear for that sending money to josh when i know that he's packaging the records in his you know living room oh yeah or or, yeah, yeah or no, I agree. And Neil and I both, like I said, this show has actually been really bad for our spending. <laughs> I mean, it's been yeah, good I, for our record. Well, bad or bad or good, you know, depending on, on what you, how you yeah. phrase that. Because well, and, and, of course, and people send us a lot of stuff. People have been very generous. We get we get records, oh, yeah. you know, sent to us pretty regularly. And, you know, and it's been it's been a great, it's, it's been great. It's been a great fun relationship. Anyway, all right, good. listen, let's go back to Detroit. Let's Let's talk about the devious ones a little bit. I uh mm-hmm. I I I don't know the other I don't know the singer and the bass player but I remember Amato and I actually had a little conversation with him about it online uh this week. He played in a band called Catfish in the mid 90s or like early yep. 90s that I thought of Detroit oh, yeah. that I loved. They were one of my favorite live bands at the time. Just like a yeah. punk kind of not hardcore but kind of you know just a rowdy punk rock band like there were back in that era and then I, he said that he also played in the bill bondsman who i remember too but they yeah. were really they were more hardcore if i remember um i remember seeing them at tesco yeah. fest um yeah and so, you guys come, so where did so he comes from like a punk hardcore background you come from i i guess you always kind of played in punk bands right for the most part yeah 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 now, actually what about the other uh, guys well um eric the singer he he was in a band. If you want to go back to the Catfish era, uh, at that time Eric was doing a band called West End, and they were like uh, I don't know street punk type of thing, like kind of like I guess like gutter punks, but you know mm. sort of like that. If you remember, if you remember gutter punk, I only mentioned that. I don't actually think they sound too similar, but if you remember gutter punks, because a lot of people do, you know, you might remember West End. They but were doing like was, a hard edge, fast punk rock stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like street punk type stuff. But then shortly after that, he joined uh, Murder Murder City Rex, and they were fantastic. I used to love I them. They I were. Think I have the, I think. Yeah. I have one of their albums. Yeah, yeah. So he was in that band for several years, and he's done a whole bunch of shit since then. 
over the past, say, 20 years since Mercy Rex haven't been around for about 20 years. So there's been about there's been several other things that that Eric's done. Uh, uh, man, I can't even remember. But there's an old here's a, this is a really fascinating one. Neil might be interested in this. There's an old 50s era vocalist. His name is Tony Valla. It's spelled V-A-L-L-A. And he's from Detroit. And he's a Latino, Hispanic, um, like, doo-wop singer. I guess, I don't know. I'm probably going to get lambasted for calling him a doo-wop singer. But I guess, you know, it was of that era. Mm -hmm. And he had a group. He had a group. He had, like, a doo-wop singing group. And Tony Valla started coming back. I hope I have my... uh, my uh, history correct here started started like a bit of a comeback and Eric became friends with him and to this day they're still like very close friends and Tony Valla is like I mean straight out of I mean he's like the the last of a dying breed he's like straight out of the 50s so it's like pre-Motown you're talking like pre-Motown oh yeah pre-Motown yeah 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 for sure and he's uh he I mean he's very closely connected to the Richie Valens end of that element of it, 50s rock and roll. He did a version of La Bamba, I believe, didn't he? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, thought, oh, yeah. Wait a minute. Whoa. See, I, I had a feeling Neil, you would, you would understand, <laughs> you would be into this. You'd yeah, was the this. do what, a little reach, huh? He had a band called the was it the Alamos or something like that? Does that sound right? You got it, brother. You got it. All right. He's My on man Google. over there. Yeah. He was on Google. Uh, he doesn't know this stuff. He's making it up. No, I do. I, I know my, I know my do up, man. I know my do up. All right. <laughs> I was gonna say all British guys they know that stuff because that's where the Northern Soul. You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. The Motown, Northern Soul. He's, I know he's I sitting in his, he's sitting in his house right now. He's sitting in his house right now and he's wearing sweatpants and a t-shirt, but he still has his creepers on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and my hair's done up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's yeah, they, yeah, yeah. Tony Valla and the Alamos. You got it, man. And uh, so Eric's like best friends with Tony Valla, which is kind of <laughs> kind of well, crazy. He's like, like year old guy at this point, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. He's, he's well into his eighties. Yeah. Yeah. So I've I've had the privilege of seeing uh, Tony and Eric perform together only one time, unfortunately, but it was a few years ago at the UFO factory in Detroit. Which, by the oh, way, yeah. I, I understand they I think they're hanging in there too. By the way, but barely. Okay. I don't know. But I know they're. I know they're hanging in there. I haven't been able to sit there since the pandemic yet. But I haven't you know, been there since. We will one ooh, of these days. Didn't their old building like fall apart or something? No, what happened was gentrification literally came up to their back door. Yeah, and some dude, some construction dudes that were trying to build some fancy fucking um, condo building next to them cave, accidentally caved their – I don't know about accidentally, but, I mean, there's all kinds of speculation about that – caved in the wall, of huh. the entire wall, one long wall of their bar – and this is a very – mind you, this building, this bar is a very, very, very famous Detroit bar because yeah. this bar is across the street from where old Detroit – old Tiger Stadium used to sit. Yep. This yep. bar, been, dude, uh, dude, all the dudes used to drink there. I mean whether it was in the 80s like Kirk Gibson and, and uh, guys so, like Milt Wilcox is, but, so the current, and Dave Rosemont. But the current version was like a, like a revival though. I mean it hadn't been continuously running, right? No, no, no. I'm saying, they, yeah, UFO came by, bought the building, and and reopened it. Yes, okay. yes, you're okay. correct about that. Yes, and but this building, I'm just saying, the history in this building is important, and all the old school guys, even going back to like like Hank Greenberg and Mickey Mantle and guys like that, guys would go play baseball 
and at the end of the game, walk across the fucking street and go drink in this bar. <laughs> and, like, all these legendary players, Harmon Kellebrew, guys like that, unbelievable. Bob Feller, you know, used to drink at this fucking bar. And going <laughs> all the way back, too, even even before that time. So, you know, this this I think it was a condo or it was one of those, like, multi-use buildings where it's, like, condos on top and, like, you know, Chipotle's in the bottom, things like sure. that that you see. It was one of those types of developments. And and there was some back and forth that we didn't learn about right away. The public didn't learn about right away. But there was some back and forth behind the scenes between the developer and the bar owner. And the bar owner continuously turned down offers to get bought out because the developer wanted to buy that bar and level it and put up. And if you look at some of the original plans – for the condo, for this big, for this big building they were trying to build, it basically it really needs the property that the bar is sitting on in order to really, mm. you know, re- realize itself. And of course, the bar continuously said, "No, no, no. We like what we're doing. You know, we're a Detroit bar. We host shows. You know, we are. It's very Detroit. It's like you know, leave it alone." And yeah. So then there was this whole conspiracy about. You know what happened? Did these did this construction crew purposely do this or not? You know they were digging a trench, right, literally right alongside the fucking foundation of the bar because technically the bar's property line was the was the wall of the bar. They didn't have any property beyond the wall that was theirs. So the property that the that the developer purchased went up to the brick wall of the bar, like that was their legal property. But they were digging a trench like for a foundation. And they accidentally busted a hole in the fucking wall of the bar mm. and shut the bar down. This was a few years ago. And that became a whole big story. Like, And, of course, everybody was already anti-gentrification in Detroit. Of course, already, they're already upset. Now they're really upset. You know, it's like, oh, man, it was a whole big thing. Somehow they've survived, at least until the pandemic hit. I don't know much of what, what's going on with them during mm. the pandemic, but I know they're laying really low trying to survive. But... They're still mm. there, and the big build, the big building, fucking literally wraps around them. Like they <laughs> built this. this That's too bad because you used to be able to park. Bar. You used to be able to park over there. That means there's gonna be no parking anymore. <laughs> yeah. Nope, nope, nope. Well, <laughs> I mean, a, you just that... summed up. You just summed up gentrification in a nutshell, yeah. right there. No that's, that's, oh, it'll be ten dollars an hour or some shit. That's 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 called that's the Corktown yeah. neighborhood, right? That's yeah. called Corktown over there. That's a real cool. Yeah, neighborhood yeah, that's too. Corktown. I mean, nine yeah, times out yeah. of, nine times out of ten, when you hear that a band got all their equipment stolen. They usually stop to eat at Slows, right? And somebody steals their trailer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Slows barbecue. Yeah, or or in uh, or in uh, Agent Orange's case, they were parked right outside of Smalls, which is nowhere near Court Town. No, Hamtramck's pretty safe. Huh. I always uh, consider yes, Hamtramck. Yeah, yes and no. I mean, yeah, I'd rather walk no, the streets right. of I'd rather walk the streets of Hamtramck than the streets of uh, Midtown, where uh, of yeah, course Midtown's right. all well, cleaned right. up. Midtown's all cleaned up now. But anyway, yeah. okay. So so anyway, you guys. So you guys. So he comes from. So he. Well, hey, hold, hold on, hard... hold on. Why, why don't we play a Devious One's track? Because it's been a while. So should we yeah, play let's something? Yeah, let's, that's, let's, good. that's a good idea. Let's play the first track from the LP. So you guys did like three singles before you did your LP, right? Yeah, you did a couple of. And we, and we did a we th- we did a three singles and we did a seven song cassette all before we did our LP. Ah, we don't count cassettes. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, so okay, so let's play the opening track for the album. I think this is a. I love this song so much. So this is is a good cool. indication of the kind of style you guys do, kind of like a power pop kind of thing. This is called sure. uh, "Trouble Seems to Find Me." Yeah, devious ones. Yeah. 
that was the devious ones with trouble seems to find me there you go am i sounding more like a so, dj all the time is that good you are you're sounding like a dj <laughs> <laughs> you, take up, yeah. you take up smoking you're, so you get that throat a little raw yeah right you're ready you're ready to host top of the pops my friend <laughs> yeah no i'm, I'm not i'm so not a pedophile fine. so i couldn't do that <laughs> no no i know it's such a bummer to find out about that yeah. yeah, it's got a sick in it. Jesus. So, so I guess oh, yeah, my, totally. my my point with the Devious One stuff is you guys all kind of came from like, of course you were saying that Eric had done some soul stuff or done some doo-wop stuff or whatever, but you guys all came from kind of like harder punk backgrounds. Was this like a, you guys made a decision we want to do something a little different or a little mellower or what yeah. was the, and yeah. just well, and your friends well, from before? We should, well, we, I should, I should. Uh, tell you a little bit about um, our bass player Scott's background, but basically to answer your question immediately, yeah, Eric and Amato first had the conversation, and I know Amato was just coming out of Bell Bondsman, and that's a really loud, heavy yeah. band, and he spent like ten years doing that. So I know, and I know Amato really well. I know that he probably just got it in him that he was was ready to do something a little bit different because he does that. I think we all kind of do that. And Eric, this is already Eric's thing. This is already Eric's vibe. So. Eric's probably less inclined to go in phases. Instead, he just kind of does his own thing all the time. It's just some of us will hitch a ride on that wagon and, and then hitch off and then hitch a ride and hitch off. You know what I mean? So sure. that's kind of what I meant by when, when after, after Murder City Rex ended, he's kind of done a few things here and there. That's kind of what I meant by that. Like, he's always kind of done something soulful or melodic or kind of garagey, you know? And then some of us kind of hook up, do something with him in that realm, in that vibe. And then, and then, and then, you know that that stops, and then some a few different people hook up with him and do something in that vibe, and then that that kind of is the pattern, you know, with him, because um, and this is just tailor made for him. I think Amato had that in mind. Amato knew that this idea of this band would be tailor made for Eric, you know. His so voice, it was the like, voice. He does have the perfect voice for it, I think. Yeah. Well, you should hear you should hear some of the new album we're working on. It's like, wow. There's even like a couple crooner songs. There's like. Uh, huh. There's all kinds of stuff. We're yeah. There's a couple on the, on the LP. There's a couple on the LP that kind of border on that. Yeah, and, then, and we've also to got that. to be to be fair. We have also got what we call burners, where sure. they're like two two minutes fast, boom, like buzz cocky. You know what I mean? Like boom, sure. boom, boom. We actually there's more of that on this new album than there is on the first album because most the average length of song on this new album is like two minutes, and so we. We really like machine gun them at you. And we've got about, we're sitting on about 17 songs recorded and we're not really sure what's going to make the cut yet or not. We, we recorded the, the, the meat and potatoes of it just right. Literally the day before Michigan went on lockdown last year. So we barely got it all in before, mm. you know, shit hit the fan. And now we're kind of like still kind of going back wondering, all right, what do we want to do? We haven't been back in the studio yet, but we're, like I said, we're sitting on a ton of material. We've made a lot of notes. We've got a lot. We've exchanged a lot of ideas of what to do, you know. And it's probably not going to be all 17 songs on the album. We've already kind of nixed a couple of them, but you know, we definitely need to get back moving again. And we are. We've got we've got a lot of extra instrumentation to record, some horns and some organs, and we've even got an accordion in mind and things like that. So it's going to be a very oh yeah. So so there wasn't much of that on the there wasn't much of that on the first album. So you're definitely gonna this is gonna be you're going you're going for it with this one. We kept that first album kind of simple. I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean it like more like it was just like the band, a couple extra bells and whistles, but that was about it. It was a good representation of what the band had done up to that point. But this is totally, yeah, we're we're trying to get wacky with this one. 
<laughs> so I don't, but, I don't really, I don't really know. I mean, I I know a lot of the punk bands. I'm friendly with a lot of the punk bands in the Detroit scene, but mostly only the ones that come over here to play occasionally. Like if you come to GR, yeah. I probably know them. But so is there? Are there other bands doing that style over there? Like I, to me, I'm not plugged into the, like the power pop style. <laughs> not really. All, but, but I was gonna say because it seems that you guys have found kind of a little niche for yourself, and you can play with punk bands. Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't yeah. want to play with like the Exploited, but you could play with a punk band. You could play with like yeah. You could play with, like a new well, wave do, band. You could play with a lot of. You could play with a lot of different kinds of bands. Honestly, we've we've dude, we've played with Peter and the Test Tube Babies. We've played with the Weirdos. We've played with all kinds of punk bands. Yeah, he's all but like we Saint, know we probably wouldn't like do Exploited at, at but. St. Andrews, or where are you playing these kind of shows? Or are you talking on the road? Oh, Maje- no, Majestic Cafe when they were doing oh, shows, okay. they don't anymore. But the cafe was kind of saving the day when the magic suit upstairs was the dance yep. club. So for that, I saw some, that I, saw two, I saw subhumans in there. Yeah. I saw some cool shows yep. in that side in there. Yeah, yeah. Watch, so watching the homeless shows there. Watching the homeless people shuffle by while you watch your punk rock yeah. show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> so we've we've played with a fair share of we've played with the um, uh, Cheetah Chrome and we've played with the Trash Brats and we've played with. Uh, uh, dictators, I think. No, that wasn't us. That was the Dutons that played the dictators. I. This is where when we start getting into this, it's hard for me because I, I can't. I can't separate everything perfectly, you know. But there's a whole list. Sure. I got like 100, 104 shows. Devious ones played. I think we played with. Uh, was it Dead Boys? Yeah, we played with Dead Boys as well as Cheetah Chrome. So we played with both. And um, so, so that's what that's the advantage yeah. of starting a band when you're older is you actually keep track of stuff, right? Because, like, your bands when you're yeah. younger, you probably have no idea how many shows you played or where or when or, yeah. you know. Yeah. I remember I actually – I was in a band called Multigrain from 1996 to 2001, and I actually did keep track of shows in a notebook up until, I don't know, a certain point, and it just got out of control because they played a lot, so it just got out of control. But I tried. I was, like, you know, a teenager. <laughs> you know, I was, like, 20, 19 or 20. I was trying, but it just – it got out of it got out of hand. <laughs> but, yeah. I, I keep I keep wanting to uh, tell you about Scott though, our bass player. You should hear his background. Yep, now. Yep, yep. We talked about you know about Mato and I, and you now know about Eric. But you should hear about Scott's background. I mean, this dude. Whoa, this dude. He's he was spinning, in a band he's called. He's a spitting image for Greg Norton from Who's Who Do, right? Oh yeah! Oh oh yeah! Yeah. You know, yeah, you know, who, you know what Greg Norton from Who's Who looks like, Neil? He's yeah, kind of with a tall, the, with the mustache and shit. Yeah. Exactly. He's got a mustache that says, "I tie ladies to train tracks." <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And he, oh, and he wears a bowler gotta, hat. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta remember that. I gotta, yeah. I'm gonna hit Scott with that one one of these days, like in the tour van somewhere. Because I mean, the other guys get all kinds of shit. Because Eric is a, a bald little Polish gremlin, and we call him that all the time. And then yeah. uh, Amato, Amato looks like uh, from Masters of the Universe. He looks like Merman. So and then they they give me tons of shit because they think I look like the the hungry Howie's uh, guy and then but you're you know, we got you're, you're definitely all American boy of that group though yeah right? yeah well I, it's, yeah pretty much <laughs> but we don't we don't have anything on Scott so I got to remember that the, 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 he's like the Black Bart of the band you know <laughs> he's like he's like, he's the villain he's the villain yeah. so Scott's background he was in a band in the '90s called Mog M O G. Okay. And uh, they they were awesome, dude. Go back and check them out. You, they were so. The first time I saw them was at the Steve Kraft uh, tribute show, in, in uh, right after Steve Kraft from Feisty Cadavers got shot and killed. Yep. And they did they did a series of tribute shows for him at St Andrews Hall. And Mog, 
I, I'm pretty sure Mog played at least one of the first couple of years anyway. They all kind of bleed together in my mind. But Mog's stunt team, they were awesome. He's also been, dude, I can't believe we, it took us this, this long to talk about him. He played bass for Didi Ramon when Didi Ramon oh, really? first qu- yeah when he first quit the Ramones and moved out to Ann Arbor, Michigan. Yeah, and started the Chinese Dragons. And uh, there's footage if you go on YouTube. There's footage. I'm probably gonna fuck this up. Um, I can't remember if it's. I think it's Argentina. I think it's Argentinian TV footage of Didi Ramon Chinese Dragons, and I believe it's Argentina, and. It's like live TV performance, like on live TV there. And Scott mm. Scott played drums. Scott was a drummer. Let me let me mm. rephrase that. Scott was a drummer. So he still is, but I'm saying he also plays bass. But he, if you if you look, there's some priceless uh, material. It's him playing drums with Didi Ramon mm. on like live live Argentinian TV back in like maybe '91 or '92, you know, and. Uh, it's unbelievable because he, he doesn't look any different. He just looks younger, but he looks the same. He basically looks like Black Bart, Black Bart with a T-shirt instead of Black Bart with a with a button-up on, you know? So, uh, but, man, his his musical resume is unbelievable, dude. He's been, in, he's been involved in so much cool shit. And really that kind of like, that's kind of the cherry on top of everything else because I think the whole band's really got a really vast, you know, musical pedigree. It's really... Sure. It's really amazing just to be a part of it. I don't even know how I, I don't even know how I fell into this shit, man. Like you said, if you're a drummer, I guess, I guess that's all I got. I got to do is just be a drummer. <laughs> well, the fact of the matter is, the, at the end of the day, it's probably one of your less physical drumming gigs, right? Because it's more uh, of an older style man. drumming. It's, it's not like those eighth notes are a killer, dude. Oh, uh, the wrists, huh? Yeah, on the wrists. Yeah, dude. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I uh, I play I play a lot of that in in putts already. So those two bands, from a drumming standpoint, aren't too terribly different. So I can interchange, and that way that way, if one of them is busy, and then I have to put the other one on hold for a little while, when it comes comes time to go back to that other one, I'm still in pretty good shape. Like I'm still I'm still like you know um, okay, I can jump in and because a lot of Devious One songs are fast, rapid that rapid hi hat, you know, real rapid hi hat. I do that same thing and. And the putts, although I think in some cases, Devious Ones is even faster. And you should hear this new album. Some of that stuff is really, like I said, we call them burners. We call some of those I'm looking, burners. I'm looking forward to it. I really enjoyed the last one. Um, and it's funny because one of the times I know for a fact that we met, you were playing, you guys were playing at the Firehouse. Which, Neil, the Firehouse was our pal Cole's. He lived there. It was like a, a okay. venue, like a house venue. Oh, yeah. But it was an old, yeah. it was an old firehouse, and it was it was just they lived there, you know. And so you like would go into piss, and there's like Cole's toothbrush, you know. It was a weird, but I just remember just don't piss on his toothbrush, me, please. Well, Cole brought me backstage, <laughs> which was his bedroom, and the devious ones were hanging out in his. He's like, hey, this is my friend Tom. Like, hey guys, how you doing? You know, and they were. It, it was it wasn't like a, <laughs> it wasn't like you know. I don't expect anyone to remember it, but I just it was. It was funny. It was it was cool. That was a that was a really fun night. I do remember yeah, it, it was. It was, uh, it was I don't a remember who else played. I got, I got uh, bloody lips and us. That's all I remember. Us and bloody lips. Wow. Uh, see now, talk about a weird combination. <laughs> well, hmm. that's. I mean, that's getting back to what you're saying. Also, too, you know what you were saying earlier about us being able to play with this band or that band. Like that's great and everything, and you're and you're not wrong. You made a good assessment. However, at the end of the day. 
um, you know, we actually don't mind taking a few what you might consider risks. You know, we we actually don't mind walking out there and being the only band that looks or sounds like we do. And and that goes both ways. I don't mean that we'll just go play with some hardcore bands. Yeah, we would. But we would also, on the other end of the spectrum, by the way, and we have done this before, we'll play like some fucking family festivals out in the middle of nowhere with a bunch of cheesy rock bands, you know, and we'll just like, whatever, we just go up there, fucking crush it out, you know, club people over the head with eighth notes and uh, downstroke. And and then we leave the station like exactly 28 minutes. And people yeah. are like, what the fuck just happened? And you're the, you only, one, and you're the only band... <laughs> The only band there selling records, so they're gonna buy them because all these other bands are yeah, playing absolutely. Phil Collins songs. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, yeah. And we we so, have, we've actually we actually did do a few a few like uh, cheesy uh, you know like um, craft beer festivals or rib rib festivals like you know family like street fairs you know street fairs and things like that where they close off a little neighborhood in this little trendy part of town you know they got a couple stages like a hundred feet apart from each other you know they got a whole day of music and they got all these tents set up with people selling crystal and you know art and shit like that you know all that fucking dumb shit and like we'll just show up and just crush it they pay good though right (laughs) those things those things pay pretty good don't they yeah they they usually do they usually do and where, where does that money go? Right into the next album, you know? <laughs> no, you're, 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 you're buying some shitty artwork in the tent is what you do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, let's just be real. You know, my, my girlfriend says she likes this custom-made top that's got, you know, uh, bedazzled shit all over it. I might have to buy it <laughs> yeah, for her. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, 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 yeah. Don't forget corn dogs and elephant ears and all that stuff. It ain't cheap, man. Oh, fries, yeah. Fries Absolutely. Are not cheap. Yeah, so, and craft beer. Craft beer, $10 a pint, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what. It's getting towards bedtime, so I'm t- we're gonna play one more song, and then we're gonna come back, and I'm gonna ask one more obscure question, and okay. then Neil, if you got some obscure questions, you can do that, and then Doug hasn't had di- Dougie hasn't had dinner yet or taking a shower. And no, it's, like and it's said, almost ten o'clock. Yeah, I know it. So all right, so let's play. <laughs> you know what? I, I'm gonna call an audible here, and we'll do the newest. This is your last single you just put out. Was this 2020 or 2019? The Straggle is real. Oh, yeah. Uh, October of 2019. So we squeezed that in maybe not quite six months before the pandemic hit. But that's actually, it's important to note this. The Straggle is real. And the B-side, excuse me, that is the B-side. The A-side is um, She's Waiting for Me. Those two songs. I'm sorry. I got it backwards. That's all right. Go ahead. Well, I don't know which one you're playing, but either, either one of those songs. Both those songs came from the first of two sessions that we've done for the new album. So that's technically that that's not like uh, Plainview Nights era music. That's actually more it's closer related to the new album than it is to Plainview Nights uh, because we went in in early 2019. We did about seven tracks, and two of them are are those two songs on that single. She's waiting for me, and the struggle is real. Uh, another track, uh, Werewolves and Werewives. That went on a comp that Lacey from Detroit 442 put out, an LP comp of all Detroit punk bands. Actually, I think he still has copies of that. That's really good. Timmy's Organism is on that, um, Detroit 442, a whole bunch of bands. It's a rad comp. So, and then we were left with about four tracks from that session. Those four tracks we're still sitting on, and we combined them with another, say, 12 that we did right before the pandemic hit. I told you we recorded like the day before Michigan went on shutdown. Well, that's that other 12 songs. So 12 or 13. 
So there's where you get your 17 overall that we're sitting on right now for the new album. Just to, just to clarify. So this okay. new single, She's Waiting for Me, is, is more like this era that we're talking about. Like this new album. Well, let's okay. Let's do that one then. Let's do "She's Waiting for Me." Okay. So I, this... the, I had it backwards. I thought the other one was the A side. So okay, we'll do the A side. So this is the single from 2019, "Devious Ones." She's waiting for me. Give me an A, model. Well, you know, she's gone and left me. The last one of the night from the devious ones. Uh, yeah, she's she's waiting <laughs> right for me, and that's a great sleeve too. That's a great sleeve on that one. I'm loving that vintage picture yeah. on there. Yeah. Oh yeah. Now that that one, our buddy designed two different good covers, and we couldn't decide which one to go with because they both kind of seem like covers, and we just decided to go with them both. We just decided, you know, one can belong to one song, the other can belong to the other song. And at one point in time, it used to some singles have come out over time that 
that did that. So we thought, oh, let's do that. Harken back to the old days. And also, if you, uh, she's waiting for me, Neil, dude, an old soul guy should appreciate that song. There's some heavy organ. We also did, um, we had the guy that we recorded it with. He, he was like Johnny on the spot with that recording part, like, or with that organ part, rather, shall I say, because uh, we didn't know, he didn't know, we didn't even know we were going to put organ on that song. And we just like on the spot, we we're like, hey, can you do something with this? And dude, it took him like maybe, I don't know, 20 minutes. And he came up with something rad. And then he did some other stuff on the other tracks from the same session. Hmm. So, you know, it's, you should check seriously. Uh, that's kind of, I'm not saying we're going totally in that direction, but that's, that's kind of just a preview of like maybe what the next album, you know, a little bit more depth, I guess you could say, you know, cool. a little more soul. Excellent. Hmm. Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. So, all right. 2009, I think it was. Uh-oh. There okay. was Uh-oh. There was a, a what seemed like it should have been a pretty big music festival in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Oh yeah, club, here we go. At a club called Skeletons. Did you fight somebody, Dougie? Yep. Did, did, no, but, did you but screw I something? Get naked. But I believe a young a young Dougie Tangent was there and I can't remember if you and 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 do you have any recollections of this this two-day event? I was only yeah. there on Saturday. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was there. Yeah. Um yeah, I was there. Were you working or something, or were you were you one of your bands playing? Well, so uh, it was called the, the Going Duke Nowhere was... Neil. It was called the Going Nowhere Festival, and it was headlined by our pal yeah. Sloppy Seconds on Saturday night yeah. and the Huntingdons on Sunday night. And we've actually talked about this a couple times before, but I just know that yeah. Doug was there, and I was gonna see what his recollections were, what what his what if he was playing or what he was doing. In the... I was. So the Dutons were originally on the bill, yes. So technically I was playing. But um, my friend at the time, Ryan, he, he had a record label called uh, Nowhere Records. And yep, that was yep. his festival, okay? And, and I was like, helping him out. He relocated to Grand Rapids or something, right? Like he was from down south or something, but he relocated yeah, to Grand Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he lived in Grand Rapids at that time, him and his wife and his kids. Now, I was there to help him out however I could. I was just kind of like, there to just generally just hang out for the weekend, have fun and help out however I could. And it, it was a, a, a really fun weekend, but by the time we got to sloppy seconds, the cops were called they sure and were. sloppy sloppy seconds were not allowed to go on. And it sucked because it was, they were the last band of the night. The show would have yep. been done. If we just had another hour, we just had another hour. We'd have been out of there, you know, yep. but the cops had to show up at the worst possible time. Not that there's a good time, but I'm saying it's the worst possible time when you got one band left and they dressed, shut it down. Dressed basically full, Dressed in full riot gear. Like they were going to bust some skulls. Like yeah. those, yeah. Videos you see from the LA punk shows in the eighties. Yeah, yeah, um, unbelievable. I was like, "Oh my god, come on, GR cops, so get you, with okay, it!" Did you did you go over to the other bar where Sloppy ended up playing? Okay, I was trying to get to that. <laughs> oh, Tom, no, what are you doing? But yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, you know, but uh, yeah, so we're scurrying around trying to find a way to still hear Sloppy Seconds play tonight, and we're not letting these cops spoil that. So finally, somebody came up with the idea of having them play at Jukes, which I had already played there. I had already played there with the Dutons a couple times. Yeah, Jukes so I was, was familiar great. with. That was a great yeah, place. Great bar, great bar, great bar. And um, now it's a vape store, Neil. A freaking vape oh, store. Bro. Can you imagine? Bro. So, <laughs> so, so, 
somebody was able to get that set up. So what we did was every, a bunch of us hurried up over there. My buddy Nick was with me and his underage girlfriend was with him. And we were riding over there together. Nick had his drum set and he had been using it for the fest. He'd been volunteering it for use, you know, communal use for all the bands at the fest up to that point. And so he brought the, we brought the drum set, Nick's drum set over and we brought it over to Jukes. And I remember we walk into Jukes at like, it was something like, like pretty close to last call. It was like 130, 145, something like that. And it was like, they already had a show going on there. Yep. And it was that, uh, it was Ska that, band. fuck, I can't remember. It was that ska band. I, yep. I want to say uh, Chicago ska band. I can't remember who the fuck they, it they was. Were- in their in their defense, they were pre- they were a pretty good band. Had a black front man. Deals gone uh, bad. Yeah, Deals was, gone uh, bad. Was it? No, 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 not that no. Cl- close. Same era though. I think it was uh, maybe Scapone. I could be wrong, okay. but it might have been Scapone. I, I don't anyway, even know same... if I ever knew the name, but yeah. But uh, oh yeah, they were really oh they were really good. I was actually excited when I walked in because I. But they were not interested in cutting their. Earlier. They were not interested in cutting their set short either. No, no, they were no, they weren't at all. <laughs> And well, they have like 15 members of the band, so why would they? Well, I'm, as a matter of fact, I'm pretty sure they played 50 minutes longer than they were normally going to, but maybe not. Anyway, I'm sorry. Well, Keep I, going. I, and I do, rec- I do recall the crowd actually increasing once it was us from the fest that all showed oh, up. Yeah. So really, I don't, oh, even, yeah. I don't even think I don't even think the ska bands crowd on their own. And again, I was a fan. I was stoked to see them. You know, nothing against them, but like we made the show better as soon as all of us showed up. There was like a hundred yeah. of us that showed up out of nowhere, you know, yep. literally. And, and we were getting you know, antsy we watching better. our watching our watches, going, "Come on, yeah. guys, come on, wrap it up, wrap it up." Exactly. So by the time we got, so when we got them off the stage, and then we set up Sloppy, and I got um, Nick's drum set. We got Nick's drum set set up, and Steve from Sloppy played that. And Nick's underage girlfriend couldn't come into the bar, so she had to sit out in the van. Nick Nick had a van at the time, a tour van. And uh, so Nick Nick felt bad, so he sat out in the van with her. And I was like, oh, man, dude, you're going to miss Sloppy in a fucking tiny-ass bar playing on your drum set because you're underage girl? I'm sorry. I hate to be an insensitive prick, but, man, no way. And my, even my girlfriend now would tell me that would be crazy. You know, she would tell me she would. My girlfriend now, Kathy, would say, "Go in there and watch that fucking show." You know, so they, enough, they only played for they only got to play for a half hour at the end of the day. So, yeah, but it was, dude, it was amazing. It was though, amazing. Dude. It was like it was amazing. They You're didn't. Right. Start, they started about two fifteen in the morning. Jesus, and, you know, obviously. Yeah, I think, the bar was, I think it was serving. like yeah. I think you. I think you're real close. I think it was two to two thirty. They played or something like that. Yeah, but their yeah, deal was, it was like, their deal was we'll come, but we're not re- unloading our amps again because they had all their no, stuff yeah, packed yeah. in the van very tightly, so they sure, just grabbed sure. their guitars. So, sure, so that's sure. so. That's, I'm sorry. Go ahead. You you finish because I, it's very interesting because I've heard this story from several different perspectives, including I was there, and yeah. everyone is slightly different. So I'm always trying. It's like this has been like the mystery. Like if I were to do like a 48 hour mystery or like a you know like a documentary film, it would be about this, uh-huh. this Saturday night of my life. What, but anyway, what, so what what well what's been different about it? I don't understand. Well, it's a pretty, pretty simple much story. The, no, pretty much the same. Because well, the thing is, we went. Me and my buddy went, and 
there was no booze in the place really there was actually turned out but there wasn't really supposed to be booze there so we showed up early and there was really not many people there during the day on saturday wait are you talking about the festival or are you talking about the jukes show i talk about the festival no i'm starting i'm starting yeah yeah yeah. i'm starting over at the beginning i'm starting over at the beginning i got you and the only band that we really knew on saturday other than slobby was uh the independents we wanted to see the independents matter of fact we've had we've had evil evil on this show he's a he's got great stories man hung out with joey ramon and stuff you know obviously great 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 dude but i feel like we all we all hear about we all hear about Joey Ramone when we talk about the independence. I mean, no offense exactly. to him, but it's like, well, but, that but, comes but, up all the time. But with him, it's so personal because he talks about like going to the Grammys with him and stuff. It's re- and how and how like Bruce Springsteen oh, would cool. kiss Joey's ass. You know, it's it's, it's anyway. It was fun that's stuff. Cool. But anyway, so what did we want to do? We wanted to go boozing. So there's a bunch of bars down the hill a little bit at the next block. So we go down and we're boozing and. Finally, Sloppy shows up, and Bo was working the merch. And I didn't know Sloppy at the time. I loved them. I'd only seen them one time previously, one of my favorite bands. So I strike up a conversation with Bo, and these guys are super friendly. And we end up – it just ended up being the most fun. We are shooting the shit with them. And eventually they say, hey, we got a keg upstairs. We're like, oh, we're going to go another beer. They're like, oh, we got a keg upstairs. Come up and drink off our keg. Oh, cool, man. Sure, whatever. And then uh, (laughs) they finally go to – they finally go on, and then the cops bust in, right? It's just like, oh, crap. So we go to leave, and one of them says to us, I think Bo or somebody said, no, don't leave. Hang out, hang out. Just hang out. Pretend you're a roadie. So we help them out. And then we're having this conversation. Hey, they're going to go play at Jukes. Well, they don't know how to get to, they don't know how to get to Jukes. So Bo jumps in my pickup, and my buddy who's with me jumps in the van with BA and <laughs> helps them get to Jukes. And yeah. we end up – we. We're pretty friendly with them now. As a matter of fact, BA was like our first like legit guest that we had on this show, kind of our A our oh, A list cool. our A list punk guest. So now we see him all yeah. over. We flew out, we flew out to Vegas to see him a few years ago. Uh, we usually oh, try to awesome. try to go catch at least a few shows every tour. So they yeah, we're like we're like slopheads, like like uh, Grateful Dead fans. But no, the only difference I, I would it. say is that I thought they set up the drum set for the opening band, which was Ten Second March, which was like this kind of. Irish punk band who'd played before yeah. the ska band. They were but, a local GR band. Yeah, a local GR band. But it's funny because there's a lot of people, a lot of moving parts, and like Cole swears that the owner of Jukes is the one who ratted the skeletons yeah, out for having a keg. He was. And uh, it's just, it, it's funny. It's funny seeing the pieces put together. And there's another girl, a woman named Leanne, who's was kind of a big part of the scene. She swears that she facilitated getting the show moved over to Jukes, and it's just, it's yeah, funny. Yeah, she kind did. Of... So that's all true. Okay, you know Leanne? Oh, what's, I can't remember her last well, name. Is. You know who I'm talking about. Well, I, I don't, I, okay, first first of all, I don't know how much I should say publicly about this, but it, it wasn't the owner of Jukes. We'll just say that. At least, oh. at least from what I understand. Cole might know more because he's more in tune with the local scene, but I was under the impression it was somebody else. I can tell he you. Worked off, cause he worked He the worked he worked at Jukes, so anyway, okay. Yeah, it yeah. doesn't matter. Oh, okay. now, once down. again, yeah, I'm, I'm getting I'm getting too far up my own butt here. It's like story time with Uncle Tom. So I'm gonna tell you what. <laughs> you can't say Uncle Tom, Tom. You can't say Uncle Tom. All right. Oh, that's right. You'll, you'll that's get us right. fucking canceled. Sorry, Mister Tom. You call me Mister Tom. Mister Tom. Yeah. Exactly. Yes, Mister Tom. All right. Well, no. <laughs> that's worse. Now we're done. That's done. All right. Now we're canceled. <laughs> we're officially canceled. All right. Well, listen. All right. So. We should uh, play one more song, and then we should thank thank Doug for coming on and talking to us for so long. Yes, I, I got a feeling. Thank you guys a, for having me. I got a feeling he's got another couple hours in him. I have. Well, I have. I have. A, I have. <laughs> I have one last question for Dougie. Yes, and you know what yeah, I'm going to ask him. Sure. 
I'm going to yeah, ask yeah, him. Go I'm going to ask him the Johnny. The, I'm going to ask but him. He's a drummer. Do we really want to know? Do we really want to know you? No, yes, sorry, we, love, no, we love drummers. I'm going to ask yes. him the Johnny versus Johnny versus Johnny question. Yes, yes. So, People love the question. So, Johnny Ramone, Johnny Rotten, Johnny Thunders. Go. Which one more influential? Let me see. Johnny Ramone, Johnny Rotten, or Johnny Thunders. Yep. Um, uh, I'm going to go Johnny Thunders. Oh, boy. Really? Yeah. You'd be a Johnny Ramone man for sure. No. I mean, I mean, I love Johnny Ramone. Obviously, I love the Ramones, but like, uh, I think Johnny Thunders, you're talking about who's most influential just over music in general. I would say Johnny Thunders. Yeah, you can, I have, mean, you can you, take, you can take it whichever you way would, you want, but it's interesting how most people we talk to have a different answer every time. It's cool. Yeah. Well, I think, I think first of all, and you could say what I'm about to say also about Johnny Ramone as well, but I think you would not have. You would not have like all the '80s hair bands without Johnny Thunders. You wouldn't have Guns N' Roses without Johnny Thunders. You know, you wouldn't have any of that. And you could say the same about Johnny Ramone in regards to a lot of bands as well. Not that specific Nirvana, genre, like but I'm saying Nirvana you know, and stuff like that, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, any any band that plays through a distortion pedal, really, or any band that plays quickly through a distortion he- pedal, heavy or anything bar- like heavy that. Bar- Heavy bar chords. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Chords, so yeah. I'm not taking it away from, from him. But I just think Johnny uh, Thunders is actually, just because he predates Johnny Ramone by just a you know a few years, uh, I think he might actually just nudge out, just out of the three of them, just nudge, nudge it out for a number one spot. But obviously Johnny Ramone is very, very close behind. But um, yeah, I, don't, I would say there's, Johnny there's Thunders. There's no wrong answer. There's no wrong answer. No, there's no wrong answer. It's just interesting to see what everybody says. You know, Johnny Rotten was the prototypical punk frontman. There was two types. There was the Joey Ramone type, and there was the Johnny, you know, the Rotten type. And that's why, honestly, that's why I don't know. I don't know if, I mean, it's a clever thing, the Johnny, Johnny, Johnny thing, but I don't know if Johnny Rotten belongs in that. Oh, what? You know, well, just because, well, just because, hold on, hold on, because you just, you just hit it right on the head, Tom. Johnny's a front man, you know. Yeah. Uh, Johnny Rotten is a front man. Uh, the other guys weren't, so the other guys were guitar players. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't compare them. If anything, I mean, I, you might have Steve Jones would probably have a better chance of getting further than Johnny Rotten in that comparison. You know, like Steve Jones, I might say, oh, Steve Jones, yeah. There's all these like rock and roll based punk bands like U.S. Bombs and shit that sound like that Steve Jones. You know what I mean? Sure. So I would make an argument for that. You know, Johnny, def- Johnny Thunders def- is a front man. What are you saying? Johnny Thunders yeah, and the Heartbreakers? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, but that wasn't. Eh. That's. I, okay. I just it, plus it's not, plus it's not I, the I mean, New York Doll. I mean, Steve Jones just doesn't have the ring of the Johnny Johnny Johnny. It's just not going to work. No, <laughs> don't, I know. Don't, you can't listen. You Don't let him you persuade Johnny, you, Johnny, Johnny, and Steve. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Stevie, you Stevie, can't... Stevie. Well, give me two more Steves, yeah. and I'll go with that one. I just can't think of them. I tell you what. <laughs> next, next show, next show, you should change it up and and ask your guests: Is it Larry, Daryl, or Daryl? Larry, Barry, Larry, Barry, or Gary? <laughs> I'll tell you yeah, what. There you go. Why don't you pick? Uh, pick one. Why don't you pick the last? We pretty much picked out the music for the show. Because you were kind of like, yeah, do your thing. Sure. So, if you could, what song you want to leave leave on people's ears as you dance off to the shower or dinner or wherever you got to go next? This song, I tell you what, this song is a band I was in from 2001 to 2006. They were called the Dead Heroes for most of that time, but we changed our name to the Warning for like uh, the last couple of years, last year or two, and we okay. put out a couple 
put out a couple records. The first record was in 2003 called uh, Let It Ride. But they also did some stuff in the 90s. The band was actually around since 96 before I joined in 2001. Uh, but the second record, we had already changed our name to The Warning, and we and the record's called All Systems Dead, and that came out in 2006. And this song is called Detroit Riot City, because I thought, you know, we've talked a lot about Detroit on this episode. Why not cap it off with Detroit Riot City? That came out oh, on Punkcore punk Records. Yeah, that came out on Punkcore Records, that album, back in 2006. And I figured, you know what, that might be a nice change from everything you've already played uh, that all kind of sort of fits under a similar envelope. This does not. This is more like street punk type stuff, and that's what I did in that band for those years. So this is Detroit Riot City by The Warning, a.k.a. The Dead Heroes. Yeah, that's it. 
All right, Detroit Riot City by the warning. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, there you go. Sweet. And on end with a heavy one. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Oh yeah. Dude, man. Thanks for coming on. It's been great. Yeah. It's been great. Yeah, it's been it's been hey, nice thanks, talking to you. Thanks a lot for having me. Yeah. And we'll definitely have to uh, catch up in the flesh one of these days. It's Absolutely. we were talking we talk, we talk to people from all over the country, but you know, you and I are only like a three hour drive apart, so there's no reason that some I'm sure yeah. I'll pass across at some point. Once shows get yeah. going especially, I would think. So So yeah, man, thanks. Uh, you I, should Neil, Neil, be, yes, sir. Being in uh, being in Skokie, real quick. You should look up this band. I'm not sure how easy it would be online because this band was around like in the 90s. There might not be a whole lot documented about them, but there was this band. There was this guy. Uh, they were from Skokie and Chicago, both. And they were there was this guy named Roy. It was in this band, and they were called Skokie. The band is called Skokie. <laughs> okay. And wow. the, the front man was this was this guy Roy this big dude Roy and he was excuse me he was also the uh singer for the, a band called the Eclectics a ska ska band of the 90s called the Eclectics and uh when he left the Eclectics uh, a Detroiter named Damon from a band in Detroit called the Exceptions joined the Eclectics but when that all happened Roy was on his own and he started a band called Skokie and they were a, bit, a little bit more punk than weren't ska so you should check them out. They're called Skokie. They were around like in the nineties. They might have something. You might be able to dig something out, like a demo tape somewhere or whatever. That's hmm. one of those night. That's one of those nightmares to Google. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Freaking, I didn't even think about that. Freaking yeah, Google, right. man. It's like I always, I always say the worst example of that is the Great Detroit or Ann Arbor band State. Good luck googling. Oh that. yeah. Enjoy yourself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Go home and do that. Yeah, sometimes it's the state, sometimes it's just state, you know, like they yeah. represented themselves a little differently every once in either a while. Way, yeah. either, then, way you're, either way, you're not finding them. <laughs> then Heroes played with them a few times. Yeah, they're great. They're a great band. I wonder if, I wonder if Preston, yeah, let's see. We, uh, you know, it's funny because Neil and I both come from different backgrounds. We're about 10 years apart. He's more of like a first waiver and I'm more, you know, I, I, I'm a little further behind, but our kind of common love is like 80s punk and hardcore. That's kind of like where we, we converge, you know? Yeah, so, that's cool. So anyway. Cool. All right. Listen, man, thanks again for coming on. We appreciate it. Good luck in Detroit. Absolutely. City. And uh, I hope let's I can get do, there for sure. Like I, I hope Black Christmas can come back. I don't know if it's too soon or what, but yeah, man. Next time you got something coming out, like I said, I think you easily got a couple more hours in you. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, let's do yeah. let's do it again sometime, guys. Seriously, if I appreciate it. You, you guys are awesome. If we started earlier and and I had more booze in the house, I'd go longer. <laughs> I need to go to bed. So I've already I've already been having a few beers or I've had about four beers so far, so go. we're good. You're doing better <laughs> and you know, I always know it's time to quit when it's time to pee. So anyway, you know, I right, have- I have to make I I have to make an admission while you guys were telling that story about the Detroit gig, I went out and peed. <laughs> you know, usually I'm break all right anyway now you know too much yes. all right thanks all right. for listening everybody all right, guys. All right. thanks all right, take care yep Bye. yep Bye. keep a little mark in your heart stay free bye-bye <laughs>